0: Hello nerds and welcome to the shit show that is movie of the year The only podcast on the internet that has the science and screaming To figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year And your given year this year is 1985 So far in the season, we've gotten through all the bullshit that nobody cares about. But tonight is the movie that everyone paid admission for. It's The Breakfast Club. My name is Ryan, and I will be leading you through this journey with the returning champion. Shit, it is hard to remember who won.
1: (laughs) It was me, Ryan.
0: Greg. Greg is here. Ryan, I have to tell you
1: right off the bat, I've got a Brazil-sized hangover, my man. This is... This whole is that going to lead to your downfall? I honestly, you got to be enthusiastic about the movie if you want to compete. And I just, I spent all week just sort of like wistfully looking off into the middle distance and being like, Brazil.
0: (laughs) Do you? Did you just instead of watching Breakfast Club? Did you just watch Brazil again?
1: No, I was tempted to, but instead I watched Breakfast Club, and I was like, Yeah, this is pretty okay too. But it just, you have
0: to admit it's not Brazil.
1: It's not Brazil. No, in a, in weird ways, it is similar. Though this is a movie that like it 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 pretends to be way more realistic than Brazil is. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it is in an adge- an adjacent reality in the same way that Brazil is.
0: Yeah, this is like uh,
1: realism ish.
0: Speaking of being born in an adjacent reality, my uh, Greg, you're never gonna believe who we got for the show tonight.
1: Ryan, I can. This is actually a, a video thing, so I'm like, actually, I mean, I can. Is it, is it Mike? Because I can see that it's Mike.
0: Okay, it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily have to be Mike. Uh, they maybe they're in the waiting room for the Zoom lobby. Oh, okay. And I'm going to pull them up right now. And then your question would be, why would Mike be here right now? Yeah, that's what I'm expertise? asking. Let's <laughs> let's let's go to the let's go to the man to ask him that. Mike, why are you here right now?
2: Uh, you guys <clears throat> don't know how to work Zoom or the things we record with, so yeah, I'm here for the, the tech expertise.
0: <laughs> Uh Mike, is there anything that you want to say first about your devastating loss last week?
2: <clears throat> you know, I thought about it a lot. Not Brazil, just the loss, and I, I came and I watched Breakfast Club double harder. I ate breakfast more than I usually do. <laughs> I joined as many clubs as I could.
0: Wait, you ate more breakfast, or you ate it more? Like, you ate it harder than you, like, cereal.
2: Both, Ryan. I did it more often, and with uh, more fervor and uh just all week i walked around with my fist up in the air singing
0: hey 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 i did get some people to uh call in and talk about your performance last week Fucking humiliation, you must <laughs> it was <laughs> that <hurtful>. was embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> i mean after the show greg straight up taped your buttocks together yeah. I, ta- I taped his buns
1: together in front of everyone and Emilio Estevez saw and laughed at Mike.
2: You
0: would think he'd learn that uh, you're not Both hair
1: and
2: blood came off when I did that tape, so that sucked.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I felt like that was like an appropriately like traumatic event. You know, like he they resisted like the kid being like permanently damaged in any way. or sodomy so many of those hazing stories involve sodomy but just being like really deeply humiliated and very much hurt like I mean it was it it sounds like a very painful thing but it just it was so understated I thought that was a a good moment in the movie yeah not like you know and then we like all piled on him in the shower and like something like really like hardcore but like if that happened to you and you were that kid, you would spend the rest of your life being like, that was like fucking one of the worst things yeah. that ever happened to me.
2: The, the biggest difference is Estevez is like, what he had to go tell his dad. My dad has never heard of any of my stories on when yeah. I was that kid. So <laughs> <laughs> no. Could you no. imagine
1: Mike walks up to his dad like, now I'm going to tell you about my day. No way, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The dad, was the name? Hancock Brooklyn. Hancock yeah. Brooklyn, uh, yeah. Be on his motorcycle all the way down the street, halfway through your sentence. Um, Let's settle down, guys, Uh, talking about the movie, and let's just sort of get into the movie. What did we think overall? (laughs) I don't know when the last time was you guys have watched this or if this was a major chunk of your childhood. And so you know this movie like the back of your hand. But uh, sitting down for movie of the year this week, what would you think?
2: Uh, It was a delight. Yeah, I watched it a lot as a kid. I watched it like two months ago with my wife's young cousins. They're like in their teenage years. Uh, and it still holds up for kids who, even though there's no phones and they don't understand most of the words they say, uh, <laughs> it still, I think, hits kids in the teenage set hard. Because uh, even though there's no clicks, it, it, like it's something powerful and impactful. And I think it's still, it it's uh, wears its message on its sleeve, but it's like a good message for a movie like this.
1: I, uh, I saw it as a kid because my sister was into it. And so that was kind of like almost a, a point against it. And then I saw it like 10 years ago with my wife and I was really struck by, um, like a lot of the stuff Mike said, like how honest and true it seemed and how subtle a lot of the performances of the, of the kids are. Um, and this time around, I, I think it suffered, like I said, from being right, coming right after Brazil. It is delightful and it, it's wonderful. And I think that there's a ton of really good performances in it. I think a lot of the things that might, you might count as strikes against it, including that, like, there's several, like, really long, kind of boring speeches. <laughs> uh, I think that those speeches are actually supposed to be the kind of annoying things teenagers say. And so I think Mm -hmm. that it's, like, a lot of the ways in which it kind of can be a grading experience, it's, like, grading because that's what teenagers really are like, genuinely. Um, But it it seems it's a very closed ecosystem of, like, in the way John Hughes movies are, of, like, white, conservative, Midwestern, upper-middle class. I think it tries to dip into other classes maybe with the the Judd Nelson character, but everyone comes off seeming like pretty bougie. Um, and that I think kind of like makes its message maybe a little more insular, especially against our current like sociopolitical like backdrop.
0: Yeah, I would, I would say that it was sort of the tale of two movies for me. And it wasn't a first half and a second half, which makes it so much easier to talk about. Like I, let's only watch the first half. That was good. As if it was Hamilton. But instead it was just, there's all of these blips throughout the thing that are like, what the, why would you do something <laughs> like that? Like, there's so many scenes, and I think it has uh, a lot to do with the screenplay, the dialogue, more specifically, and the performances, you know? And I read a lot this week about how much was improvised, and some of the best stuff was improvised. Uh, uh, what's his name? Brian? Uh they ask him why he has a fake ID, and he says, so I can vote. <laughs> like, that's one of the best lines in the movie, and that was all Anthony Michael Hall. Damn. Um, and then there's this part of John Hughes that I think was going away in this movie, and eventually he sort of got away from, but just had this like national lampoons, easy target, uh, big, broad, stupid, everything is absurdist comedy streak that he yeah. just could not get rid of. And that pops up over and over again when we're talking about, like, the lack of subtlety with the quote-unquote villains to some of the, like, they'll be talking for a long time, and then they will just dance for 10 minutes, and then they'll go back to the talking. That's what I
1: meant when I said it's like, a little bit more like Brazil than you might think, because it's like, okay, clearly those people didn't get up and dance. Clearly... When Amelia, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to call them all by their actors' names because that's just how it is. Uh, When Amelia Recife slams the door and then screams until the glass breaks, okay, so that, like, I'm not an idiot. Like, clearly that didn't happen. But then, like, how much of the movie is happening? Like, (laughs) you know, because is it really supposed to be that they're all, like, dancing in sync like this and that, like,. I found myself wondering what level of reality the movie was even meant to be occupying sometime. And that keeps it from, that keeps the heart of it, I think, from really totally fully connecting sometimes.
0: Yeah, I I don't know. Like, there's there's two sort of paths that we take on the show. There's the everything is intertextual and we got to figure out that way. And then sometimes we go outside and say, like, well, here's where the creators were at the time and here's what the you know world around them was at the time. And I just think this is a guy who doesn't really understand tone. He, yeah, he, this is his second movie. And his first one, which was, they were filmed, uh, he essentially directed three movies back to back to back, like took no time off. The first one, Pretty and Pink, was so much worse about all of this. Like, we, I think that we have to feel fortunate that the movie that we watched doesn't have long dick, long duck dong mm-hmm. in it from Pretty and Pink or and then, like some that,
1: of like the real sexual assaulty type stuff from Pretty and Pink.
0: There's a little bit, but we'll <laughs> yeah, get to that later. There is a little bit of that. All right, guys, we're going to take a break. Uh, <laughs> and then we're going to... Are... <laughs> it is said that before, John Hughes still absurdly beloved run of movies throughout the 80s. The teen movie essentially boiled down to after-school specials or sex-crazed romps like Porky's and Meatballs. The Breakfast Club, the most iconic feature of Hughes' juggernaut decade, attempted to stage a borderline bottle episode of a movie where we weren't focused on titties and assies, but instead very realistic personalities and pathos of characters teens could actually relate to. And the way he did that was to give each of the five main characters a blatant stereotype. In this case, the brain, the criminal, the outcast, the jock, and the princess. And then go from there. Taste Buds, I ask you this. What is it precisely that canonized this movie and made it discovered and loved by every generation and sub-generation after it? And before we dive into that, like, generations sort of mean, like, I'm of one, and then my mom's from one, and then my grandma's from one. But realistically, at this point, it's like every four or five years we yeah. sort of cycle through them. It's every single one over the last 35 years. Like, we're talking about 35 different generations, basically, have found this movie and figured it out. Why? 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 Mike, why?
2: I think that's the beauty of starting with stereotypical stereotypes. Like, they are just paper dolls. Uh, Is that everybody, even with these new weird kids who say they don't have clicks? like, no kid would be like, I'm the criminal, I'm the jock. Uh, They are. So there's an easy entry point for you're one of these five kids. Like, I don't care about star signs. I don't care about ENTP. You're one of these five kids uh, at your core. And so your entry point is that way. And then the whole movie over and over and over again, they're like, Oh, but no, wait, we are actually the same. Your problems are my problems. They're just slightly different, but no matter what you're wearing or what your issues with your parents are, the point is you have issues.
0: And everyone at some point is 12 and everyone at some point when you're 12, this message will blow your fucking mind open.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, everyone is who their like parents constructed them to be. And so these kids all have one designation that like the, the movie kind of assigns them that they assign themselves, but they're all actually the ignored kid or they're, they're all actually the, some different form of the abused kid. So mm-hmm. uh, either they're abused by being ignored or they're abused like with physical violence or they're abused with just like so much micromanagement and like cajoling and um I mean Anthony Michael Hall's character, like uh his mom is so up in his business that he's like basically having a nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. Well mister you figure out a way to step And that's his real ass mom, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And sister.
1: And sister, <laughs> Who comes in to steal the movie. Um I think that <laughs> Yeah. I Yeah <laughs> I think it's a under Touted part of the movie, but so much of this movie, what I think really makes it work and makes it enduring, is childhood, teenage years, especially in the eighties, were actually marked by profound periods of boredom, where where you are doing absolutely nothing. I feel like there is less of that because now we everyone's on their phones, yada yada. But this movie captures the fact that because it's just set in one eight-hour period there's a lot of these like interstitial scenes where they're all sitting around or they're all sleeping. And so this movie has a very lived-in experience, Mm -hmm. and it's one that I think kids are really used to, which is you get just totally randomly thrown into a new group of kids that you're sort of familiar with, and now you have to like make a little mini-society with them over the course of this really boring experience.
0: Yeah, if I had to pinpoint the brilliance... Of the Breakfast Club into like one second, just like one camera move. It, the camera does not move. Uh, it's Ali Sheedy, Allison, uh, wrapping her finger up in string <laughs> and watching it turn blue. <laughs> and that's something that I totally forgot about. I did it all of the time, and I have ne- you never seen movies because movies don't have time for that. Yeah, we have to be running right. from. Plot point to character development to plot point. The most other one that's hi- close is Emilio Estevez. Uh, <laughs> his sweatshirt strings, watching them go back and forth. That's that is how I spent sixty percent of my life when I was a kid.
1: Yeah, and most high school movies are like it's the last year of high school, and so mm-hmm. everything is just going warp speed all the time. You're running through the kitchen. You can hardly stop to grab anything except for that one slice of toast from mom's big breakfast because you're just always literally running from place to place. But that and why. I always
0: want them. I want the camera to stay in the kitchen and watch the mom throw away hours of just sobbing sobbing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) why does nobody love me or care about what i'm doing
0: well better start prepping tomorrow's breakfast the other thing is
1: um i i I don't think everybody is always dominating with their performances in this movie but there are a lot of actors in this movie who are giving you multiple layered performance and to effectively Mm -hmm. i think Play teens, you have to be playing like this multi level experience, which is each of these people is the character themselves is pu- always putting on a show. And right. so you see that and then you see behind it, when you see the doubt in like Judd Nelson's eyes or when you see him scared or when you see um, Molly Ringwald, like uh, hoping somebody notices what she just said by just her eyes opening just like a, a, a centimeter more. It's those like, it's the the edges of these performances that I thought were really impressive because that's what makes them so Subtle, you know, it's not just like the in-your-face stuff, but when you see the character thinking they're not being observed and still emoting.
2: Yeah, the, the genius of this movie is the that they're teenagers and they play teenagers very well. So it gets away with bad movies do have long monologues, but because it's about teens and yeah. teens really do that. You're like, not a bad movie then is it? Yeah. And, and the, the, the characters when they're big and broad and stupid, you're like, that's what a teen would do because they're trying to hide right now. And when they uh, say
1: something that like, as if it's profound, but it's like something that everybody knows like that, everybody's fake or everything's phony. Mm-hmm. But that's what a teenager really says. Cause you're, it's just dawning on you for the first time ever.
0: I mean, yeah, read Catcher in the Rye twice, yeah. you know, and the first time you read it, you're like, this is the greatest philosopher of our generation, This <laughs> Holden Caulfield. And then you read it as an adult, and you're like, uh, this author is the greatest speaker of teens Satirist. in the history of time. <laughs> yeah, because they're just, like, full of hot air bullshitters. Yeah. Uh, when this movie first came out, Judd Nelson's performance was... Hated. And he's the oldest in real life of the five. How old There's is two- he? Some of these people well, it look looks really old. like he's old. going gray in the front. He's so. kind of, got <laughs> he, the, a... Yeah, the front of his hair is totally gray. The movie has two 17-year-olds, two 23-year-olds, and a 26-year-old. He's 26. Yes. And then... The principal's 23. what are you wise guys doing that's my impression of a 20 year old
1: (laughs) hey look at me everybody i'm 23 years
0: old i'm gonna (laughs) rent a car when you're 23 john hughes brought two of his 16 candles people to the movie so they're actually 17 that's brian and uh shit okay i'll just anthony michael and claire thank you brian and claire and then um the other two ali sheedy and Emilio Estevez, are 23 um, what,
2: but, what else is Shady in because like uh, all I know is this and watching now uh, she's quiet for the t- first two thirds of the movie but is doing so much stuff just in the background that doesn't yeah. steal it but like it'd be easy to be like oh she's a forgettable character but she does it so just in the background
0: she was in short circuit dude
2: oh was she the robot
0: she was the robot yeah, yeah. couldn't you tell by her treads she just <laughs> did the robot the entire time <laughs> your mama was a snowblower uh, uh, but watching this now, I think that Judd Nelson's performance is incredible yeah. because the over-the-topness of it, uh, the I I don't I you, I will not let you in, and I'm going to do this instead but all I want is to let you in. Uh And I'm going to think that I'm finding subtle ways of letting you in is the most teenage bullshit I've ever seen.
1: And watching them all one at a time basically deliver a speech about here's the deal with me when nobody fucking asked. (laughs) Yes. You know, that is the most teenage thing. Here's my whole thing. They're basically like doing their plot from Cats at the beginning. Like, (laughs) anyway, so I'm a railway teen, and I'm basically (laughs) always dancing on the tracks and stuff. That's me. I want to go to community college, or heaven as they call it.
2: But because it's woven throughout dance numbers and funny moments and real conversations, it, it feels natural instead of fucking agonizing to sit through. Oh, but the, the worst is Brian's. Like, somebody, I think Claire, because she does it a few times, like, is complaining about her situation. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's like me. And he's yeah. like, no, your, your thing, you brought a gun to school and you're going to kill you. I, Like, you have stuff to talk about, but don't start it off with, like, yeah, it's like me. Yeah, <laughs> That is a different thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> One
0: scene I want to talk about before we get out of here. We talked about the absurdity, and I want to get back to that later. Of the two big ones are the dance scene and the, um, the glass door breaking. Yeah. But we also have uh, Bender uh, sneaking through the duct yeah. it's like he's fucking yeah. John McClane. Like there's a lot of shit like that that just if they had not like tried to make such a mainstream movie, if they weren't worried about like attention spans, I think it would have been so much better. But I want to talk about the lunch scene. Because the lunch scene does have some of those, like, broad, antic jokes where, oh, my God, their their lunches are so them. Uh-huh, like, that's yeah. such a clear lunch. But I think it works better than all this other stuff where, just to go through it real quick, uh, Andy has every seven lunches. Yeah. <laughs> because he, he's always carb-loading. He pulls out a uh, gallon of milk. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and looks at it like, oh, there's like it's a a bottomless bag. Like he's disappointed when it's he has half the grocery store, and it's like all.
0: Brian has a perfect lunch, but Bender has nothing, so he runs over and just starts taking Brian's lunch. Um, Allison has a lunch that she definitely made for herself to look weird. Right, yeah. her parents don't care about her, so she made that in the now that like we've watched the movie and have grown up, she made that lunch for her, and she was like, everyone's gonna think this is so weird, mm-hmm. but it's Claire's that I think is the most interesting because she brings out not just sushi from Seven Eleven, like which was the classiest lunch when I was in high school, but the whole like little table and tray, the with wooden the little, dishes. little thing, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and then the, the the best Claire moment is that she looks around and she's like, what. Bitch, like you did this so people would look at you. What do you mean? What? You know?
1: That's what I mean about the movie. Just like the movie, just takes the off ramp there and becomes like not real. You know, Uh, it it can't be that Andy's meal is big. It has to be a total grocery bag, and it can't be that she has a snooty meal. It has to be the most eighties snooty meal. By the way, sushi was like so of the moment.
2: They just heard of it, which is yeah. Bender's like, what is that? (laughs) <laughs> uh, that, that that that's when he i do think is the funniest character but his reaction to sushi the whole time and she's like can i just eat and his like eye roll like i don't know can you like <laughs> 80s and sushi
1: are you eating fish that's just been like in your bag for four hours <laughs> yeah
2: this is not refrigerated i guess really. you can
1: do that if you want and my my other big complaint about like how unrealistic this is, is where are they they're supposed to be in their school library which has this huge statue Mm-hmm. In it, like they, they, this is the the settiest ass set. Like they were supposed to film this movie in the actual school's library, and they were like, "This library is a piece of shit." And so they went into the gym and they built a new library. <laughs> and it's like, do you guys remember what the library looked like at your fucking high school? Mine Ooh, was, in there. and I went to
0: like, uh, I went to a pretty nice school. Like I lived in a... Yeah in the poorer the middle class part of a rich area. Yeah. So my high school was nice. My library was a dingy shithole that was like a monument to the smell of mildew. It was like an like, indoor it was nothing like this. It
1: was like an indoor trailer. Like it was in <laughs> it was inside a building, but it had big trailer energy. Uh-huh. And yeah. All the
0: the furniture, like the carpet, the smells, yeah.
1: Everything was wet all the time. It was like the fourth floor in Parks and Rec or something like that. So <laughs> that's what a high school like looks like so it shouldn't have to look good because isn't this mo- movie supposed to like capture a genuine experience instead of like looking like <sighs> that you go to high school at the met
2: i don't know because like this is the guy who did ferris bueller right and so everything is 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 big and bright so it's supposed to be richer than our normal lives and there's always going to be that fantastical elements so like hyper reality like a yeah yeah because if I- they danced around in the, our shitty constantly lights flickering dripping libraries things would get knocked over which would would mess up the shot
0: <laughs> that's such a, that's such an important part of it too is one light flickers always yeah it, it, it shouldn't be two but it can't be zero there has to be one um i think like as you watch the movie and this is mostly led by bender who becomes sort of like um alpha chimp in more ways than one he needs places to like Bender will come. The closer he is to the group, the more comfortable he is. And then when he gets upset, the further he will move yeah. away. Mm-hmm. At one point, literally, King Kong like climbing all of the build quote unquote buildings in the library. And I think that they were they were already so nervous about having what essentially is a bottle episode that having this probably made everybody relax a little bit more. You know, yeah. like there's places yeah. to go.
2: It looks like more like a central library of a nice town than a high school's library.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, guys, we got to take a break. But when we come back, let's stop talking about the movie and start talking about Hot Boys.
1: Mount Rushmore.
0: That's right, folks. It's Rushmore time. Uh, That term keeps getting crazier and crazier, doesn't it? It's Mount Rushmore. What does it mean to you guys?
1: Well, Mount Rushmore is a very important place that, much like the rest of America, we stole... And then uh, put up something that didn't belong there. And uh, nobody wants to go see it. And it makes us all sad.
0: We do have a lot in common with the creators of the actual (laughs) mountain. Okay, so here's what we're going to do today. Instead of doing four uh, slave owners, what we're going to do is instead do four hot boys. But they have to specifically be of 1985. You guys have to figure out what is it about being a hot boy in 85 yeah. that makes you hot? Well,
2: not owning slaves. That's a big differentiator <laughs> here. That's a
0: good one. I don't know. Going over some of the guys that could potentially be on the mountain. I think some of them may have wanted Yeah, there's to, one there's so. definitely
2: one that's frightening. Um I
0: a lot of ha- it seems like in 85 a
1: lot of what had to do with is like being like inoffensive, like um mm-hmm. kind of being like outwardly non-sexual and like way more boyish. Than I feel like other generations of, of like it's really, it makes sense that it's hot boys this time around because <laughs> like there were not as many hot men. Mm-hmm.
0: Do, they, th- do you think that we're gonna have a mountain of like a bunch of chalamets of 85 chalamets? Yeah.
1: yeah, oh, definitely.
2: There just weren't muscles in 85, apparently, or people weren't into them, I guess.
1: Also, okay, it's maybe a little sad to look at some of these names a- and see that like some of these people were like mistreated. And I pro- that's probably going to be true of the eighty five hot girls as well. But like now that we've had the amount of distance from it, some of these people obviously had very tough times in Hollywood. Not to put a damper on it,
0: <laughs> as you are never. No, going to I do, wouldn't okay? do that, uh, Mike. You are the challenger today, mm-hmm. and again, thank you so much for being here tonight. I'm so glad that we were able to lock you down. Um, you have the first attempt at a slam dunk. Where are you going?
2: Uh I wanna I think eighty five was such the, the reign of the Brat Pack and this is the hottest of the hot boys. I wanna lock him down now. He's uh he was hot then, he's hot now, he barely has aged. Uh it's it's gotta be Rob Lowe. That face, that jawline.
0: Have you guys heard that uh people like Bradley Whitford and Josh Molina and other West Wing um co cast members have been calling him out on Twitter recently for how ardently he supports Trump and still does to this no. day? No.
1: Um, I'm I'm uh, honestly I'm not that surprised by that.
2: <laughs> that's a yeah. bummer I had no idea
0: I have not
1: been following w- it but uh, it's not Shit. super surprising
0: where was uh Rob Lowe what was he doing in 85 St.
2: Elmo's Fire came out in
0: 85 with Ali Sheedy, Sheedy who you know, were just asking aware of. if she had ever been <laughs> in other movies all right I'm gonna go on the maybe pile maybe it's just because it's uh I have a bitter taste in my mouth now for that dude who taught us all to stop pooping, <laughs> Greg? Where do you want to go? Stop pooping. Uh I don't care who you vote for, though. Like which president? Uh, w- what a hot boy, though. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Still. Goddamn.
1: I mean, God, still so good looking. He's done that thing where he's been able to like transition through a lot of different ages of attractive manliness. Yeah. Like, there's so many. Some of these hot boys from '85 are now just like really decrepit older gentlemen, <laughs> but he is still equally hot. So, Ryan, I want to do something horribly unorthodox, and you're probably going to really put me in the spanking machine for this one. But I would like a slot dedicated to Cory's. There are so many attractive, wonderful Cory's from now, but there's never been, like, a group of people attractive all with the same name in quite the way that the 80s gave us the Cory's. I never even realized how many of these people were called Corys until The Simpsons, but there's like four or five different attractive, pretty much...
0: And how many words Ryan would call it? allegory <laughs> story. It's a crazy cheat, Greg, I gotta say. You're a gutless turd. <laughs> but I don't know. I do kind of like it. I think that, yeah, let's just have one whole thing dedicated to... Kids named that Corey. way we don't
1: get into a situation where we have, right. like, three of the people on the mountain are named Corey, and then there's just, like, Abraham Lincoln.
0: What, what were the
2: Corys up to in 85?
0: Well, I will say, right off the bat, that one, Feldman, was in Friday the 13th, 5, <laughs> colon, A New Beginning, <laughs> a film I have recently <laughs> watched. Uh,
1: he was in Goonies, too, right? I have a hard time but keeping now- Corey's straight, I have to be honest.
0: He was in the first Goonies. Goonies Two was actually a NES game,
2: and he just did voice work I don't know for if that.
0: You remember that. Which yeah. led
1: him to <laughs> so Digital
0: Turtle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah really they really got Feldman. <laughs> all right, Mike, you're up. What do you uh, got? This
2: one, uh, I'm gonna just like dive into the controversy. I he is an awful, <laughs> awful human being, so I understand if you put him right on the maybe pile. But People Magazine created the Sexiest Man Alive award because of him. He was the first one. Uh And Mel Gibson, with that shaggy long hair and being from Australia, just Mad Maxed his way right into everybody's hearts.
0: Not only was he from Australia, but in this year he went beyond Thunderdome. So he is well done.
1: This is right around the time where he's like, I can keep being that Australian actor uh, who everyone forgets that he's Australian, except for when he does interviews. Or... I can always just do an American accent, including in interviews and stuff, and just totally get rid of my Australian accent. The
2: reverse Madonna. He
1: did it. He did it. He went out and he erased what most people report is like one of their favorite accents. He just switched it and said to the beautiful dulcet tones of the American twang.
0: As opposed to like Russell Crowe, who I think doubles down oh, yeah. on his accent and oh he's
1: yeah, like, ah, that's all right <laughs> actively punching people in the face, throwing boomerangs.
0: Uh, I like. I want to be true to the era, and we all hate him, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Shuttle, he's yeah. awful, but I he's he's going on.
2: <laughs> Bummer.
0: That
1: is that's <laughs> probably up, the only time the People's Hottest Man of the Year has ever been a convincing <laughs> argument. Uh, Greg, what do okay, you got? I almost thought you were saying this guy, Mike, when you started talking about his awful politics and everything. He's not as bad as Mel Gibson, but he's not great either. And he was so beautiful at the time. Kirk Cameron. Uh. <laughs> beautiful, boyish, Kirkford Uh He was in, what, Growing Pains at the time? I'm glad when he got to Ellis
0: Island, he shortened his name yeah. <laughs> He's <laughs> from all of that. that he just he's said.
1: American now. He Now he is like exclusively nowadays in like these direct to DVD, not Blu-ray, still direct to DVD, <laughs> like Christian movies about being mm. like a fireman addicted to porn. And then like, yes, a movie I saw, in theaters. Proof, right? Yeah. Fireproof, and yeah. then uh, like overcoming that, which like, honestly, if you're addicted to porn, just get through.
0: He said, in that movie, he said to his wife, I am overcoming because I am overcoming.
2: <laughs> really? That's great. That's Oscar worthy. That's Oscar
0: worthy for best line of dialogue. A- that is also a pun. And there
1: was a Christian movie called Overcomer. That was the one about the kid that fell through the ice. And then came too uh-huh. much. Overcomer. <laughs> but... That dude loves ice. Kirk Cameron, Ryan. Two first names, both of them for rich white kids.
0: I am going to put that on the God movie file because... God damn it. Yeah. He is... I think that maybe being a TV hottie is hurting uh, you. Okay. I see that. I don't know if that's that's legal, but um, I do remember. like, I do sort of remember how like it, all of the magazine covers that he was on, girls were into his shit, even though he just spent most of his life booking 12 and also don't forget that not only is he the creator of all of these terrible christian movies but he's also one of my favorite internet pictures in the last 10 years do you guys remember his the picture from his birthday party no. oh yeah
1: <laughs> it's like him in a conference room and there's like one person kind of like sticking her head in and it's like a pile of is it twinkies or something
0: <laughs> no there's like there's Two and a half Subway sandwiches. Yes. And a tiny cake. And then there's the person taking the picture, and then a lady leaning in the doorway, clearly who was demanding yeah, that she had that. Yeah, that's
1: at least sort of appear. He, He's got this huge grin
0: blowing out his one birthday candle. It's amazing. <laughs> it looks. I don't necessarily want these people to go to jail. I just want them to have lives like that. <laughs> All right, Mike, where, are you, where are we uh, going?
2: I think he he's hot through so much of his life until probably 15 years ago, but this is his hottest. He has this wild energy, uh, and his role in Real Genius, I think, captured that. Like he should be leading man hot, but he's just a little weird. The Jake Gyllenhaal of his era. I'm going to say Val Kilmer deserves to be on here. Those chompers, <laughs> man.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it, quite. Some he tea. was so beautiful at this time too. Like, I mean, obviously now he's like had like a lot of medical issues or something. And he he does not look well anymore, but, oh, just so beautiful in this era.
0: Yeah, I think that there's other eras for him, though. More than? I think that he is. Maybe a yeah, little more manly, a little less.
2: But that's, man, bi-ish. I know we knocked off real genius immediately laughingly, but dude is hot in that, in his, like, half bath robe, crazy spiked hair.
0: Yeah, but still, are you arguing with
2: me? No. Mike, were you? I was. Were you you
1: arguing with him, Mike? Okay, good.
2: (laughs) 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 You should have kept lying.
1: (laughs) Greg? uh, We brought this movie up in the Patreon-only show that we did this week. We brought this name up. He was in a little movie from around this time called A Risky Business. He was in a movie that came out this year called Legend, where he definitely looked like a super hot boy. It's Tom Cruise. This was the oh, this shit. Was
0: I thought for sure Tim Curry was also <laughs> in risky business in the full devil horn. Let's
1: get sounds a little risky business, shall we? Um Tom <laughs> good Cruise. <Tim> curry. <laughs> He's, uh, Spicy Curry. <laughs> so so pretty. Again, Tom Cruise is another one of these that just like has had multiple years where he looked really good. I'm not sure at his most boyish is the best crews that we ever got um but let's what, see jack in legend yeah is like he's the perfect casting as the dreamy ethereal you know sort not of elf like...
2: but friends with elves kind of guy and like <laughs> yeah some of the totally. best friends are elves. and like uh like we talked about
1: at like the top of the segment like non-threatening to like the mm-hmm. extreme like he would just be okay with just holding hands and maybe doing a little light kissing at some point but he's not
0: gonna try to like push things too far. No
2: heavy petting.
1: No, no heavy petting.
0: All right, I like it. I don't love it. I th- I, I like Val Kilmer, like because they're about to star in a movie together a year from now, and I think that's peaked them. Oh man, Val and Tom. Um, so I am going to let's do two more quick ones, and then I'll have to decide, Kay. Mike.
2: I'm gonna say the reason for the season, and he was huge this year. And somebody like a lot of these guys we said have gotten hotter, but. The minute the 80s were over, he was—he just grew into his douche-like face. Uh, but 85, with Breakfast Club and St. Elmo's Fire, uh, Judd Nelson was that dangerous, sexy kid. And that feathered hair, man. How can you be dangerous with the hair that feathered? But he does it.
1: <laughs>
0: I can't believe that wasn't a line from the movie. <laughs> All right, Greg, what do you got? I will
1: also take the coward's way out. I don't think Judd Nelson <laughs> is the hottest hot boy in this movie. I think it is... Instead, the person who was originally cast to be the bad boy, one Emilio Estevez, who then stepped in to play the role of Andy, the big Eaton wrestler. (laughs) Um, But he was in Young Guns. He was in Young Guns, which came out right around now. And I think think he really captured that sort of like um, dreamy, I don't know, young manishness.
0: I gotta say, looking at this these candidates, I think this says a lot more about. You two, and not 1985. <laughs> I've, not that I think that Bono or The Edge should be on here, but that you guys are into twinks and are taking over the mountain because of it. Uh,
1: well, it's okay. It's called hot boys, Ryan. Okay, it's not called hot men. And also, I just do think that that's what maybe because I was four at the time, so I have like Tiger Beat sensibilities. But it, <laughs> it seemed like that uh, that's all the the hot guys. Because like at this at this point, Sex Ed is just like hardcore abstinence only like no one is supposed to do anything with anybody so i think i think you yeah exactly so i think that the boys are supposed to be like the leo early leonardo dicaprio levels Mm -hmm. of non-sexual
2: not later day leonardo dicaprio uber sexual
0: no yeah (laughs) here is your mountain uh the one that i was surprised because he had two of the top five biggest movies of this year And you guys did not mention him because he looks like a man and not (laughs) like a little boy. Sylvester Stallone, who everybody was all about. There's another one who I'm not even going to say right now because that would be rude of me. I'm not the one coming up with the mountain um, who fits into your guys' whole sexual desires but was not said. Uh, I'll save that for in between this segment. I won't embarrass you guys right now on the Listen, show.
1: Listen, I'm the guy that did the I'm the guy that went to his computer and typed in nineteen eighty-five hot boys into yeah, the internet. That's in our that's, Google search. That's history on now. my file now, brother, okay.
2: My wife walked up while I was doing what I said, quote unquote research, don't look over my shoulder.
0: <laughs> Do you include don't look over my shoulder in the instructions? Yes,
2: she was hovering. <laughs>
0: Your 1985 Hot Boy Rushmore is Corey's, Mel Gibson, Val Kilmer, and Tom Cruise. Fuck Top Gun. They're going on right now. When we come back, let's get back to The Breakfast Club.
2: Thank you for listening and for your support. If you want to support us more directly, go over to patreon.com slash your pop filter. Picketeer. Shed a tear, get some extra stuff. There's extra shows, extra long shows. Uh, You can make Ryan draw you pictures, make me write you a poem. There's all kinds of stuff over there. You could even get a shirt off our very own backs. That's patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. We also want to say thank you to Shady Monk for providing all the tunes you hear on this show. Check them out on Spotify, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, wherever the kids get their music that I'm too old to know. Check out Shady Monk. Back to you, Greg.
0: From the parents of the Fab Five to Vernon, the Dean of Discipline, and Louis, the Janitor, how does Hughes do it, creating believable adults in the movie? And yes, I understand how we're going to spend a solid third of this podcast talking about the adults. I understand how that makes us look. This movie about teenagers—we just can't, we can't talk about teens for the entire show. But here's where we are.
2: Well, they're the villains, so you don't want to not talk about the clear villains but- of the movie.
1: And maybe I'm just a crusty old adult myself, but I I had never realized until watching it this time, how much it is about adult life. I mean, there's like the sound that you just played Ryan, where they're talking about what's going to happen to them as, as adults, but also each of these children is a response to the adult pressures in their lives. And the message seems to be that you will get fucked up in one of these ways by Mm -hmm. your parents and in the it's focusing on the kids but i feel like both projecting to where they're going and and where they've been where they've come from both of those things are looking at adults and i was really surprised by how much this movie seemed to even though it's in the absence of real adults be about adult life and, and what happens in
0: adult life and sort of prove that like all teenagers want is to be away from adults yeah and once yeah. they are all they do is eventually land on talking about fucking adults, fucking adults let's uh i'm gonna sort of guide this through let's start with vernon and i'm gonna start with him because i do think he is the most two-dimensional how did this guy come off to you guys
2: he he's a fucking joke and then he threatens to beat the shit out of bender and say nobody will believe you look at me i'm respected to this society also he brags that he makes 30 grand a year which is don't brag (laughs) i make
1: thirty one thousand dollars a year i've got a house
2: (laughs) Uh, and yeah, okay. The this, house is a pretty good
0: flex, actually. A yeah, but only open, in eighty five could he buy a house.
2: <laughs> this a kid has open like burn marks on him. He's obviously a troubled kid, and all Vernon sees is the is Nelson from The Simpsons. Like he doesn't see like a real human being at all. He just sees like this little bully cartoon where he's the goddamn cartoon. He is.
1: I think there's more nuance there than you're giving him credit for, Mike. But also, I don't think every stage of the movie gives as much credit for the nuance that this character has there's one particular shot where he and bender have just really gotten into it in front of everybody and he leaves the library and the camera just stays with him which is weird this is one of the first times we're going to stay with the adults and it ends up happening more and more but you kind of don't expect it and it lingers on him and he has like this defeated like kind of sigh and look down on the ground look down towards the ground like he's not just trying to grind these people up He is doing that a little bit, but he's not just trying to do that. He, I think, is trying to find some way to actually, like, create a connection or, like, influence their lives so that they don't fuck everything up. It's just he's really, really bad at it, (laughs) and he just keeps doing the same thing over and over again and hoping, like, this time maybe it'll work. But I really did, in that one sigh, in that one moment, and then with some of the stuff he says... Uh, to the janitor, which is not fair to just call, refer to this guy as just the janitor. Louis. Carl. Carl. <laughs> uh, Where? Oh, wait,
0: sorry. Carl's the black one? Louis's the white one. I wrote that down <laughs> in my head. <laughs>
1: um, But l- the, talking to Carl, there's like, it seems like, okay, no, like there is a little bit of, of dimension
2: there. A, uh, I guess a little bit, but he tries to connect maybe to Emilio Estevez and Molly Ringwald. He also bullies Brian for being a nerd like he and the two outcast kids he just could not give a shit about like he does not care about their well-being it does seem like they're getting in the way of the kids with a future
1: I do have to say I I was very close to I was like in between I don't think everybody lines up with one of these necessarily but I was like I I was an outsider trending towards kind of being a nerd Mm -hmm. uh and there were all the, there were the, like those adults who would suddenly be like, okay, now I'm going to pick on you a little
2: bit. Yeah. And they
1: were, they, a lot of them were at the middle school and high school level. Oh, like, for sure. Yeah. I'm going to bully you a little bit now. I'm going
2: $1,000. Outcast brain rising. And yeah, adults also <laughs> like to dig in.
0: This is where the movie, I think, likes to dabble uh, with classism, which I think it actually does. Like, it's like, it shows that, like, bet there's, you know, in these suburbs of Chicago, the, this high school sits in between mcmansions and slums and you know they all they all feed in from those two sides um and then the how the classism also we can imagine would deal with racism if there were pocs in this movie Mm -hmm. which is um claire and andy are okay i know that they're doing bad things but because they show respect then uh, or, you know, they just sit there quietly, then I'm okay with them, and I don't care what they do, whereas I actively, openly dislike the lower class. Yeah. And then therefore, that makes them come back at me, and then we just have this feedback loop that where like you start to think that you're right because of the way that you treat people differently. He just wants them to conform so yes. badly, because that would
1: make his life so much easier if they that, would just do everything that, he says.
0: That's it. Like, I think one of the most important things that they show is that Vernon is has a newspaper you know and it's not to kill the time it's not just Candy Crush he wants to get back to that newspaper and if he just had a room of Andy's and Claire's he could get back to that newspaper but yeah. because Bender's there he's keeping from it and so he just wants to pick the quickest solution possible mm-hmm. I don't see a, I, I see a guy who maybe wonders where that principal went 10 from 10 years ago who would work with Bender who would sit down and talk to him and have Bender's best interests in heart at heart but now I just have a guy who uh, get me back to the office,
2: right.
1: where and I can what's just read. With, what's with the way he's dressed? I've always wondered this about this movie because he's wearing like kind of like a shiny like leisure suit. Is, is he
0: Barry Manilow's closet? It's Saturday, baby.
1: Yeah, like is he going out later that night, or why is he like it? He looked like he's like like he left the club from Scarface or something. Yeah, from and the it's night weird before. because
0: that's now that's now dressed up for today. But back then, that must have looked insane.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It's, like, it's weirder than just, like, showing up in shorts and a T-shirt or something. It's, like, you kind of, like, wore your, like, sort of, like, sexual attire. Yeah. To go in. (laughs) You know, like, to go, like, read a newspaper in a closet
0: with a janitor. Like, what are you doing? But, I mean, is it to make the kids, like, he walks in and everybody's like, oh, damn, Vernon's cool. Yeah. I guess, yeah. I think
2: because they're all projecting who they think the world should be either like they want it, they lean into it or pull it back from it. I think he's doing the same thing. And though he hates these kids, he does want them to think he's cool. He's not just the authoritarian. So he's like, I'm going to wear my shiny suit. Do you
1: notice you will never say the amount of money you make if it's impressive. The only sums of money people ever say out loud are like the least impressive sums of money.
0: But I think that like, that's why he, he wants them to think that he's cool or at least tough. And then they will fall in <laughs> yeah. line. And that's why that fucking chair that is not heavy enough to hold the door, and then it doesn't hold the door, and it's devastate. Like even Man. though he's on the other side and we can't see his face, that's devastating to him. Oh, that
1: yeah. door chucks that chair like <laughs> all the way
0: down the hallway. I don't know if they juice up that door. Or that what. door is the like the uh, best physical comedian in the <laughs> entire movie.
1: I I maintain that when Andy when Andrew takes out the magazine rack to pin the door. He realizes that if he pulled the magazine rack all the way through the door and then just pushed it up against it, it would hold it open. But in classic teen fashion, he knows that's going to help the adult. So he just stands there like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. There's literally nothing (laughs) I can do. The one
2: way he rebels. Yeah.
1: Just being slightly less helpful.
2: I-, I think Louis Carl is an important character because the pants are all obviously villains, and so is Vernon. Louis Carl, the ch- kids also kind of treat him like shit, except for Brian, who I definitely relate to, is just friends with the custodial staff. But uh, then, yeah, but treats sells
1: him, like the, him the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. like He is the worst offender. Could you imagine yeah. getting stunted on by that kid in that, yeah, that way? Sucks. I'd be like, I'm, you were never going to talk to me while I'm emptying out the trash cans ever again, <laughs> jerk.
2: I will put you in this trash can. Uh, but I think he's important because he pushes back against Vernon, and he's like, this is the movie saying, look, not all adults are bad. Just most are. You can still be, like, a good person.
1: You know what's cool about janitors? This is why it's a good choice for this guy. This was, like, seriously, the janitors at, like, all the schools I went to. They were adults, but they didn't, like, lord that over you all Mm -hmm. the time. Like, no janitors were ever weird with me. They were just like, hey, what's up, kid? Mm -hmm. Like, that makes them so much more refreshing as adults when you're a kid rather than somebody who's, like, I don't know, wearing their leisure suit and, and yelling at you all the time mm-hmm. and being like, I'm an adult, damn it. I drive a Dodge Stratus. Like, Get <laughs> out of my face.
0: What are you, a dude? I'm a dude. That's, <laughs> That's so weird. Um, and I've been thinking about this a lot, too, about like the jobs that people belong in as opposed to earn, quote-unquote, or get. And if you switched the roles, if Vernon had to clean up the school and Carl got to like be the Dean of Discipline, The school would be literally three times better than it is right now. Mm -hmm. Just like, I, uh, I remember what it was like back then. I understand how you guys see me. Uh, why don't we sit down and rap a little bit? I'm going to turn my chair around. I'm gonna turn my hat around. And like the fact that these kids would be listened to instead of saying, Oh, you, you're pissed off because you're being bullied by your fellow students. Well now get ready to be bullied by me. I think it would do a lot of help. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the parents. Um, we all, we see, in, like, in a scene that's almost exactly like the lunch scene, where everybody's lunch is so them, uh-huh. we start the movie with uh, everybody getting dropped off by their parents in a way that's like, of course, that's who their parents are, and not only that, that's how they would drop them off. Mm-hmm. You know, like, everybody's doing their most two-dimensional, here's how I will drop off my kid. Ali Sheedy's parents hardly stop yeah they're like the
1: door opens up and she like rolls out of the car they say nothing and they peel out drive away
0: and ally Sheedy's, i think are the most common type of parents and making ally Sheedy common in a sort of way where like i am getting nothing at home i have to create something at high school yeah whether, right. whether that's being a drama kid or you know being a football player and that's my entire identity or being a band or whatever like my parents literally have no time for me and mm-hmm. so it's their abusiveness is, it's hard to complain about. It's hard to talk to like a cop or a doctor about because it's just like, they don't pay attention to me, Yeah, but fuck, man, it still hurts. It still sucks. Yeah.
2: But out of all of them, like, and it's easy to say, negligence is the best. Like I'll take negligence any day over actually physically and emotionally abusive or overly pressurizing or like Claire, we only really see her with her dad and like, she's princessy and she's like, why don't you get me out of this? But when she talks about that, her parents used her to get at each other, like that's horribly emotionally crippling for a kid.
1: And yeah, like a move that parents all across the country were actively doing at that time. Oh, for sure. That was the birth of it. Yeah, and so it was like warring through your kids was like just in vogue at the moment.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, I want to get to this with the parents because, and the reason why John Hughes was able to write these movies, uh, I read a lot about John Hughes over the last week and he, it seems like that what happened is he came up in this comedy world that's much different than our world right now, right? So that's where we get a lot of the sort of gross stuff that maybe was considered funny back then. But on the flip side, he was he was a boomer who looked around at all the people that were his age and said, I can't believe how fucking wrapped up in yourself. You are like you. you, You're still growing up. You're still a kid, basically, because of your selfishness. And then you also had kids. Why did you just not have you should have just not had kids, but it's raised yourself. Yeah, raised yourself, but instead you're raising yourself and in the meantime not raising this kid. And so the reason that he wrote this movies is so that these people could have a voice. like They could actually see their representation up there. And we're going to get into why maybe John Hughes wasn't the best later on in the show, but for right now, I feel that all over this movie of man to be a child of a baby boomer is a fucking weird, lonely life.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you know, because like obviously... Claire's parents are totally co-dependent. So they war and they get at each other through her. And then, yeah, it's a, it's a part. I mean, Brazil talked about this in terms of not wanting to like be an adult, like, like the society of the eighties basically was just be a child forever, just constantly give into your id and you never have to stop. And so then to be the children of those people who are actively like ruining their own lives by manifesting a lack of control and then trying to develop an identity where either the parent is trying to express their lack of control by controlling your life in one form or another or just by constantly seeing to themselves and so then not seeing to you. I mean that that a lot of that does check out thinking about the movie.
0: Not and, all these families had Laura Dern come in with the literal or proverbial baseball bat and just destroy all their toy trains and yeah. say, become <laughs> a fucking adult, dude. What are we doing here?
2: And yeah, it's it's because they are, the id rules them, they are not adult, but they all have the, the, it's Vernon, here's how an adult would dress, I'm wearing the collar, like, it's everything is on paper, fine, and you see see that radiate throughout from the 80s, like, people with baseball hats are children, or whatever, but instead of, like, looking at actual behavior. Fuck the 80s, man.
1: Fuck boomers. And it does. It leaves a a generation of, like, basically latchkey kids. I mean, we were literally from a generation of kids who left school and then walked home alone and then went and got it and stayed in a house alone. Like, (laughs) it was the best. And yeah, those were really, like, the healthiest days. (laughs) All
0: right, guys. I want to talk about which parents you had out of the five of these, but I'm going to leave that for in between segments. (laughs) Let's not record that. Uh, Instead, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's do Hall of Fame. Hot Filter, Hall of Fame. Wow, that was, is that the first time the three of us went on that tram and did not bitch about how long it was? <laughs> I was just was enjoying it. You got to enjoy
1: every moment of your life. I, I think we're getting more patient. You know what? We're learning. We're growing up.
2: <laughs> when you grow up, your heart
1: dies. Honestly, <laughs> in my case, that might be literally true.
2: <laughs> oh, like because heart disease? Uh-huh. That's what, that's what she was talking about. They, yeah. they took it as a metaphor. <laughs> Your heart but, explodes. I
0: mean, we had a whole segment about how teens are teens, and then had a whole segment about how adults are adults. And at no point did we bring up that line. That seems like something we should jump on. <laughs> but when we watched it, we were like, nah, she's right. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's totally true. <laughs> you guys know how the Hall of Fame works? This is the Hallowed Halls of the very specifically pop, very specifically filter Hall of Fame. So this is just what we think deserves to be in there. Uh everyone is going to nominate one person and the votes have to be unanimous. You only get two votes each including me. Mike, once yes. again because you're the challenger, we're going to start with you. <laughs> Who belongs in the Hall of Fame? It felt
2: like for ye- this person was kicking around Hollywood for for decades and was always relegated to a basic role uh, a best friend, maybe they get to be sassy, and but how great they were was our group secret. We talked about her. Uh, and then Hollywood recognizes her more and more and more uh, as they should. She makes literally everything better, whether she's a, in a dramatic role or a comedic role. Uh, but from Arrested Development to Archer to fuck it, 13 Going on 30, uh, Judy Greer is phenomenal and just makes the world a brighter place by being in it. Judy
1: Greer. Judy Greer, I'm trying to Oh yeah I, Yeah, she's
2: kitty in she's kitty in Arrest Development. She is Carol Sherrill uh in Archer.
0: The uh who, by the way, I don't know if I told you guys this, but replaced Daphne from Scooby Doo as the cartoon character I am most attracted to. Okay. <laughs> Good yeah. to know. Is it mostly the personality? <laughs> oh for sure
2: (laughs) she is you love when people yell you're not my supervisor
0: i mean daphne's crazy right but yeah she's not like carol Sherrill.
1: and she was in 13 going on 30 and
2: ant-man yeah she's yeah she's scott's wife and ant-man yeah man
0: oh
1: i like her i do like her a lot hall of fame though mike
0: yeah she was in adaptation She's in everything. She's yeah, in literally she, everything. She's in, she's been there for us for like throughout so much.
1: And you know, like she is she's never like the star. But we talk about Michael Jordan's and Kobe's Bryant a lot. But you gotta have Steve Kerr. You gotta have Scottie Horace Pippen. Grant. You gotta have even Scottie Pippen. I mean Scottie Pippen's basically, you know, A one. He's like a. he's still a star.
0: He's a stakes. You on. gotta
1: have your Derek Fishers, your Robert Zori. Like the And that's what Judy Greer is, I think. I think she's going to not win you the championship like on her own, but she's probably going to make big buckets in big games. Is that, hol- is that a Hall of Fame r- resume?
2: Uh, I don't know. I don't I, know because I, I, I don't understand most of what you said, but <laughs> I think it was positive towards Judy Greer.
0: Roberts Ori, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> if I didn't know any better, I'd say he's just randomly pluralizing <laughs> words. <laughs> Uh, Honestly, because of the way that the three of us are, or until Greg said all of that, the way that me and Mike are, uh, I would say that, yeah, like, uh, she's Captain Dependable for so, so long. Uh, She's also in a starring, she stars in this, like, Hulu Blumhouse movie series where Mm -hmm. they make, like, one horror movie a month Ah. called, like, Oh, Good Boy or That's My Dog, where (laughs) she has a dog that just murders whoever she talks shit on, but she loves the dog so much. (laughs) What are you gonna do? You know, it's her dog.
2: <laughs> and I I
0: I like it, Mike. Greg, what do we got? Uh,
1: well, I was looking through the Hall of Fame. I just go and I sort of like peruse them. I'm sure we all have the same idea, which is like. We now I go I look at each one of these people and I'm like, Have you done anything bad recently? Like I wanna make sure
0: <laughs> we don't have any holdovers in here and Oh, we should have a thing where you can either nominate someone new or nominate someone new. Try leaving. to vote somebody yeah. out. Yeah.
1: But we still have like a really strong cast here. But I realize we are you wouldn't know it to listen to us speak, but we're actually all readers. We enjoy reading books. And books are like part of like make up the fabric of our friendship and, and who we are and what we like in pop culture. And if we're like thinking of who made us who, there's two names I came up with. One was Stephen King, but then the second one is Michael Crichton. And I'm going with Michael Crichton. And here is why. Uh, Michael Crichton is purportedly an adult author, but really I would say most people read Michael Crichton, like when they're in middle school. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly when I did, I went on a run of like Jurassic park sphere, Congo, that changed me as a person and made me into a reader. I cared about books because I cared about these books so much. And as I went on to, like, you know, go into college and everything, I'm not sure he's the greatest author of all time, but he wrote extremely compelling books that you felt like you learned something when you read them. And he's still, like, every time I am in a bookstore and I see his name on the spine of a book, it makes me smile, it makes me happy. It's like, he is like an old friend of mine or something um and again we have zero authors in our <laughs> and it feels like we should probably have at least one
0: yeah um i would say that like a large foundation of our relationship greg was built on just screaming about sphere uh-huh. uh a book that nobody's read though that i knew and a ton of people saw the movie and i did too and I agree. It was as awful as everybody thought. Oh, yeah. But that book fucking rules, dude. He
1: might have, like, except for Jurassic Park, uh, he might have one of the worst track records of, like, having his work adapted into books. I think he just, like, agreed to everything. Also, he's, he's, like, creator of
2: ER. (laughs) Really? Really? Yeah. um, But that's not about how science is
0: terrifying. (laughs) But, like, I don't know if you guys remember back then, but there was a big ER versus Chicago Hope battle, Uh which will become the the you know the the winning hospital show and it was his name attached to er that had a lot to do with it like he was a superstar writer
1: yeah mike right around the time of your wedding i actually read the last michael Crichton book that i read so far and i had never heard of it um it was called dragon's teeth and it was about dragon's teeth yeah yeah and like i felt like i learned a lot reading that book and it was just so readable it's like a perfect story and here is this book of his that i had never even heard of I picked it up, and I was, like, instantly transported to another world. If I were, like, giving advice to people with kids, you want to make your kids readers, like, when they are, like, 11 years old, get them started on Crichton.
2: Yeah, we, when Jurassic Park came out, my whole family went and saw it and loved it several times, and then I was seven or eight, Uh and instead of doing, like, Hunger, Hunger, Caterpillar, that was the family reading time as we went through Jurassic Park the book while my parents realized what – even more adult and horrific yeah. the book is than the movie. Yeah. But uh yeah, that definitely helped imprint on me uh, my love of being scared and the written word.
1: When we talk about like young adult literature, that was like for all of us. That was like our young adult literature. We did not yeah. read books that were written for uh kids who were like in 7th and 8th grade. We read the books for um less literary less <laughs> literary adults and that like
0: Cuz yeah, I don't remember my Harry Potters. I yeah. remember like our babysitters clubs, and then our—this is a thick ass book. Are you sure mm-hmm. you're ready for this? And there was not an in between. Although uh, Harry Potter's thick, but like it was clearly—oh, it we didn't have that like middle <laughs> ground. Yeah. And he does have this thing where he does so much research, and there are large portions of his books where it's important that you know how much research he did. Does- yeah, he did. You know, like uh, <laughs> I'm going to give you some facts. Why was it okay I'm
2: for a- Melville to do that, but Creighton gets shit?
0: <laughs> uh. But like I I do think that he writes about it in a more interesting than a textbook way, mm-hmm. you know? Like oh, he yeah. read a bunch of a, a bunch of hardcore science papers and we, he still keeps it pretty interesting. And I tight. like this page. I think he's the Judy Greer of literature. <laughs> uh okay. So I'm going to go now. Um as like the host, I don't need points as much, so it sort of does open me up to like do weirder stupider things. When I was a panelist, I just wanted those points. I didn't care who got in the whole game. Oh, yeah. I just want those points. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to bring up somebody who is not, I don't think, part of our childhood, part of, like, how we got to where we were or where we are. But in thinking about it, I'm not sure. I'm thinking a lot about the times that we're in and the, I don't know, the sort of, like, the new point of views that we need to understand and we need to look through. And there's a billion you know, uh, non-white, non-straight, non-male authors and art creators that we should be talking about. But to me, I think there there will always be this granddaddy. And he has had a career that has had its ups and downs, but all of the ups are so, so up. All the downs, I think, are still interesting. Um, I think that, like, another part of it, too, is that even when he doesn't make the best movie. I think that Spike Lee makes the movies that like we, the three of us clamor for on the show where even if it's not, and it's never perfect. Well, with I think one exception, the movies are never perfect, but the ways that they're perfect, the three of us love talking about and the ways that they're imperfect, the three of us love talking about. And then the more I thought about it, the more I realized that like, I don't know if he isn't a huge part of our relationships, you know, like, Uh, Mike just watched Do the Right Thing for the first time on Juneteenth, and we spent the entire next day, (laughs) 24 hours, texting back and forth about it. Um, Tompkins, who co-does the 1985 horror show with me, we have been arguing back and forth about the merits and the faults of Black Klansmen for three years now. And if you think that's crazy to do that, Greg, you and I have seen... One Spike Lee movie (laughs) in the Uh theater, and it was straight up 20 years ago, and we have been, not every time we see each other, but we have been talking about Bamboozle pretty frequently since then. We talked about Uh, how much we
1: hated that movie until we suddenly, you had a breakthrough, and then it was like, wait, we might like this movie. (laughs) And I had no, like, I did not have the context to understand that movie, which is part of why I think it hit me the wrong way. We should some at some point. We should probably watch that movie again. Now that I actually like know about the history of like minstrelsy in, in America and everything, but yeah, that that movie is definitely one that we hated, and we proceeded to talk about it nonstop until we like kind of esteemed it.
0: Yeah, and like just j- that's what I think his point is. Is he def- like Black Klansman has so many things going great for it? Like it is in so many ways a classic Hollywood movie, which he does from time yeah. to time with. 25th hour or inside man he'll just be like you know what i'll just i'll, I'll shut up and dribble like everybody wants <laughs> me to and then make these movies that still feel like hollywood mainstream movies but you can't stop talking about and he likes that he likes the fact that you know uh we can't get fully on the same page of this movie we can't just say oh it's classic four stars I, I think it's four stars almost, but this. Mm-hmm. And then whatever this is, is his entire fucking point. Art should uh, like
1: agitate you. And that experience of being agitated by art is what's interesting about it. You know, if, if you're not left irritated at least a little bit or where there's some part of it that you can't quite understand or wrap your mind around, like, it's not as interesting. And
2: he will always leave you with something to kind of chew on. Yeah, if everybody watches a movie and is like, that's great, it was about this and has, there's a consensus, was it great? Yeah. Like, if, I mean, okay.
0: Some of the movie podcasts I listen to, that would be awesome if they both, everybody said everything in unison in 30 <laughs> seconds and then they were just like, well, see you guys next week. But yeah, I watched uh, Defy Bloods as soon as Netflix allowed me to. And I love the experience. And then since then, I've been so annoyed at so many things. Yeah. Like, well, why the fuck, or what was there? And then also, but that was fucking sweet, and I really like this part, and it's all intentional. You know, and it doesn't matter how many of his movies I watch, I get, for lack of a better word, tricked every time mm. into just feeling passionate about six different things. He does it to me every time.
1: Yeah, he makes decisions, and then those decisions make you confront things. Mm-hmm. That's I know I keep going back to the movie After Hours. I don't know why I can't stop kicking this, this horse. But, like, that's ultimately what I feel like that movie didn't do. It just didn't commit to saying something that might upset you or having a take that was, like, very strong. It kind of, like, was just milk toast in a lot of ways. And his movies, he makes choices so that you'll be pissed off. And then other times he makes choices. I think about the end of Black Klansman. That movie ends like three times. And right. one of them feels really good in Hollywood, and we spent a lot of time talking about it. And then the very last thing he leaves you with is a cross burning on a, on the side of a mountain, and you're like, fuck.
0: Well, yeah, and then he includes the Charlottesville. Yeah, the Charlottesville. Yeah. Like, and then like the driving the car into the group yeah. and killing a girl. Yeah. Um, and he knows that that's not how movies work. He knows that that's not what you're supposed to do, and that's the other reason why, like, I want him in our Hall of Fame is that he's so confrontational about race and uh, culture, but then also about how movies work. Like, yeah. he nobody is, nobody making movies today knows more about movies and how they work, and then also that gives them the ability to fuck with how mm-hmm. that works, and then fuck with you in the meantime while you're watching. Like, you're not supposed to just sit there. You're supposed to like. He'll, I mean, he'll he'll have, like, edits or cuts where you won't even be able to, like, put your thumb on it. But you're, like, subconsciously, that's not how movies work. You fucked with me. You know, <laughs> like, y- we have these rules and you fucked with them. Yeah,
2: knowing all the rules means he knows exactly which ones and when to break them to agitate.
0: Yeah, I think he's he's our greatest, like, formalist director and then just doesn't take advantage of it. You know, anybody who would achieve his movie knowledge would run with it and make the most basic movies possible. And he just can't or won't. All right, so our (laughs) nominees are Michael Crichton, Judy Greer, and Spike Lee. Everybody only gets two votes. Let's start with Judy Greer, Mike.
2: Based on the impassioned speeches and Greg's reaction of having (laughs) to look up who she is and think about that, it's not just mine. Hall of Fame. It is ours. I have to vote now.
0: Greg, I'm a no. I will be a no. But it's not honestly, the hall of
1: like really, really great, which she would get into, right? It's just, it's the upper, upper, upper echelon of our personal. So she just barely misses, and it's not because she sucks.
2: It's because you suck. It's because I suck. We <laughs> honestly,
0: <laughs> you're never going to get a disagreement from Greg about that one. <laughs> the next one is Michael Crichton. Michael Crichton. Crichton.
2: Yes. Yes,
0: Greg. A thousand times yes. I'm in too, man. Hell yeah, dude. I don't care about not having an author. I just understand that his brain created so many of my favorite movies. Uh So that's why he is in for sure. And then I can also see, even though all three of us are different ages, I. You know, like, at some point throughout time before we met each other, all underneath the same star, reading the same (laughs) uh, Michael Crichton book, even though everybody else, all of our friends were out doing something cool. And then it's Spike Lee. Mike? Yeah.
2: uh, Bamboozled was the first one I saw, like, 30 years ago or whatever it was, and I want to see it again because I didn't know people hated it. I loved that movie. Yeah, you may
0: have been more advanced than everybody else at the time.
2: That was a pretty cool 12 year old. (laughs) (laughs) I
1: I do have to say, uh, specifically about Bamboozle, I did not get what he was doing. And that's why, like, I, you know, he was being so. It was, it's more like Brazil. He's being, like, hyper ironic and he's trying to provoke you. So, uh, but I am also a vote yes. This is like an exciting. Every once in a while, you get somebody that you, like, are excited to vote for that you didn't come up with it. And this is definitely one Mm -hmm. of them. This is, like, a a great candidate on behalf of the show. Uh, Black Klansman is like. One of the best movies that we have watched for this show. So, for sure.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And like, there's a chance too that we watch Bamboozled now, after everything that Greg and I have figured out throughout our relationship, uh, after Mike has grown up 20 years since he's seen it, and everything we're saying is true. Like, all the stuff that we missed is there, and his message is clear, and it's still a bad movie. Yeah. And that's what I love about him mm-hmm. is that he's just, he's so capable of having Lucy pull the football out before he gets there. And that's almost as good as his good movie.
1: Honestly, uh, I saw that movie, I think, in like 98 or 99. And I had the 99-2000 blinders on. And I thought that he was went so over the top depicting how racist American culture is. And American culture has become so much more obviously outwardly racist. And my understanding of how racist it has been in the past has increased so much that now I wonder if we would watch it, Ryan, and we would be like, this is kind of watered down. Like we thought (laughs) we thought he took much more of a strong stance when we hated it because we were like not aware. But now it's like, yeah, this is just like 2020.
0: Two decades of life in America yeah. has made this like his most subtle, quiet yeah. <laughs> European movie. <laughs> All right. Well, congratulations to Michael Crichton. Greg. Woo. Greg. Woo. Greg. And wow. to Spike Lee. Greg. Two. Greg finds into a way. to the Hall of Fame. Greg finds a way. When we come back, let's get back to The Breakfast Club. <laughs> well,
1: that is very, very funny. Or very sad, and perhaps now you have something to think about. Or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at your pop filter. Email contacts at your pop filter. Hey everybody,
0: keep watching them movies. Molly Ringwald. Wrote a piece for the New Yorker a few years back, detailing what it was like to watch The Breakfast Club with her ten-year-old daughter. The experience was awful, mostly because of having to explain the everything between Claire and Bender. Does it seem like Ringwald is now just an old-ass protective Karen that the teens in the movie would have bitched about?
2: No, her her relationship with Bender is problematic and interesting. What, like
1: it's an act of, of self harm?
2: Re- yeah. And he says, you want to get back your parents, you can always use me. And he said it as a joke, but he really means it because there's nothing. He is like, his life is tragic and that is sad, but he is really cruel specifically to her because he knows exactly what buttons to press and hurt her the whole time.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's like basically, he's like the proto-neg user. Like Mm -hmm. he is going to beat her down and then just by giving her a little room to breathe, then suddenly try to win her over and he's doing it because he knows that his extreme negative attention will like trigger something in her that is self hating. And then that's what (laughs) he takes advantage of. Yes. And he like, not to, I mean, maybe I'm a a bigger Karen than, than Molly Ringwald is, but when he's never say that, you never
0: say that about yourself
1: when when he's, (laughs) when he's hiding under that desk, and he's like in between Claire's legs, and just because he can see her panties, he like obviously touches her or mm-hmm. puts his face on her or something. It's the movie doesn't have the courage to like stay there, but it reminded me so much of like eighties kind of like wink and a nod towards rape culture. Like yeah. it, she doesn't consent to being touched like that in that moment, right. and it seems like it's a microcosm of their entire relationship.
0: Yeah, I yeah, think she
2: still defends him. <clears throat> right protects him there
0: i think there's yeah because they have all decided that like even though they don't get along and they're not friends and they're five entirely different archetypes that adults are the villain so they all have to like protect each other don't snatch but like right there uh is the start of the bookend that ends with her at the at the end like the start of it is you are going to see my panties and then touch me And I'm not sure exactly how the touching goes down. We only see Claire's horrified face. Uh And then at the end, her getting with him, you know, like, which I don't know if like this is our job right now on a movie review show to be like, let's let's think about the lessons that we're teaching young boys who are about to grow into assholes because they think that's cool. But fuck, man, that like that's crazy that they are making out at the end of the movie in front of her dad.
1: Yeah. In front of her dad. Well, the, the movie is told from such a, a male perspective, and that's obvious in a lot of ways, but the lack of the three-dimensional aspect of the pain that most young women are in in high school and the fact that John Hughes just doesn't really know how to depict that mm-hmm. really shows with the two of them. Because honestly, like the Man. fact that, there, that self-harm doesn't come into the, what either of these two girls do like, that's un- unfortunately that's probably pretty unrealistic. And so, yeah, l- like, I just don't think he knows. It's like the Virgin Suicides. Like when the doctor says to the young girl who's like thirteen who just tried to kill herself, like, what do you have to be in so much pain for? And she says, "Well, you've obviously never been a teenage girl." John Hughes obviously has never been a teenage girl because it just doesn't feel like he understands the depth of of misery that they can feel, like how bad things can get for them.
2: And he, yeah, he only plays that bender scene that's four laughs basically sometimes this movie gets a little serious and then undercuts the seriousness in a good way them all laughing that brian's gun went off in its locker felt like a very real high school laughter Uh, after a serious moment but the movie points and is like isn't molly ringwald's face funny right now because she's being touched against her will. yeah
1: (laughs) because we are not her we're going to laugh at what she's going through because we're separate mm-hmm. from it. So then it's like almost feels as if the movie then is not for her or for
0: women at all. Which right. is what he prided himself on is not just making movies about teens, but movies that show like actual teen girls for the first time ever in movie history. The other thing well, too, it's that it's like bothers the- me about it is that it I, the way that he sets it up is like, hey girls, look, you're just going to have to deal with this. You know, yeah. like you got to tough it up because this is going to happen. But in reality, all it does is have boys say, oh, wait, they're already expecting it? Well, then, of course, I'm going to continue to do it.
2: And I'll still get a diamond earring at the end. Uh, But, yeah, because the other part of the movie that it feels like he's trying uh, to some success is the are you a virgin, Claire? And then Sheedy says, yeah, I mean, sucks because if you say no, you're a prude. If you say yes, you're a slut. And because of her dynamic right. with the rest of the crew and how she's talking, it feels like she's also being antagonistic to Claire. But in that moment, she's like, I know I helped set up the scenario yeah. you're in right now, and <laughs> I'm saying it sucks. Uh, and and that's him saying like, yeah, it does suck for girls, but that's just part of the, the way they all switch of who bullies who and how, uh, I think is genius in this movie.
1: Also, there is a weird added dimension where Mike. Jed Nelson is actually like, nine years older than Molly Ringwald is Mm -hmm. in this. And so there is kind of this energy and the viewer picks up on it. The viewer realizes that that is like an adult with basically a kid.
0: By the way, Greg, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but you guys will be shocked to find out that uh, actually between takes, he would bully Judd would bully Molly just as hard as Bender was bullying Claire you know, just because method to stay hit, to in character. Going. Uh, yeah, and so nobody it, ever acts like a big fucking sweetie. It was, to stay uh, in yeah. it was just torturous for the entire time. Yeah, uh,
2: it's, and that's a real adult my, bullying. Yeah. A real child yeah, you're not seventeen, asshole. <laughs>
0: uh, and so that,
2: like,
1: that just adds a real layer of like yuck to it. And not that the, not that this changes anything though, but like I do feel like the if you were to to ask John Hughes. Is it good that Claire is gonna start a relationship with Bender? He would say no. They're not gonna be happy together. It's not going to work, obviously. Um, but it is the kind of mistake a young girl like Claire would make. So, but mm-hmm. even with that, I, it still ultimately ends up just being distasteful.
2: Yeah, because the the whole movie ends with his like fist in the air. Yeah, he, like because he is like it's an ensemble, but he's the. Kind of the protagonist because we end with him and he, they all share things, but he, I think he gets more big moments than everybody else. That humanizes him a little more than everybody else, and so yeah, ending on him after that, it's saying like, see, you can hurt people, but goddamn, you're gonna get him in the end. It'll
1: all work out for boys in the end.
2: Shorts.
0: That's the the one of the big things is not the finger or face. What of Bender's touched Claire in the underwear scene? pinky toe pinky toe i
1: think his i I think his face i think he he like
2: in between her legs maybe
1: he does what i think is so destructive about this about the message it sends is it's supposed to be like if you can see a part of a woman's body it's okay for you to make contact with it and that's like such a terrible terrible message and so it's like he can see her panties and then his face is moving towards them and it cuts away so i think that's what it
0: speaking of that uh Molly Ringwald's mom was on the set the entire time cuz she had to be cuz she was 17 and found out about this scene that we're talking about. Um this was all in her New Yorker article and uh the mom was like, "No, you can't abs- you can- it's illegal for you to show her underwear." And then John Hughes was like, "Oh, we'll get a body double." And the mom was like, "I don't give a shit, dude." Like, first of all, if anybody watching is going to think that it's Molly Ringwald's underwear. And yeah. second of all, you're having like I don't want like, that's somebody's head going towards her crotch, whether it's somebody else's crotch or not. Like, I don't give a fuck about a body double. But, yeah, it's weird and creepy. But this was, the, he had this, like, this streak of 80s comedy, you know? Like, this is how it mm-hmm. works. This is sort of what we do.
1: And it feels like it fits into, like, this Porky's or Revenge of the Nerds. And that's, yeah. why, I think, ultimately why it's so distasteful. If it maybe stood on its own, it would be like, oh, that's creepy. But it is because it belongs to a Hollywood tradition that was still big, like, into the 90s of, like, mm-hmm. trick them. You can trick a woman into having yeah. sex with you, act like you're gay, act like you're not interested, act like you're whatever. It's it's totally fine.
0: Act like and, the well, pill American that Pie you American Pie in 99. Yeah, the pill that you put in the drink was just, like, a caffeine pill. Or, yeah, put mm-hmm. them on the internet, Mike.
2: Yeah, right on the internet because uh, they're a girl, and they showed maybe a little interest, so I'm allowed to do whatever I want.
0: I mean, that was 2000, and yeah. nobody said shit about that. Everybody was like, oh fuck, that's such a good idea. Why didn't I think of that?
1: <laughs> well, as you pointed cause... out earlier, Ryan, like the generations go by so quickly now. My wife and I are watching Community, which is like the current season that we're watching, I think it's from like 20 2011 or 2012. It feels like such a bygone era. Uh-huh. I can't believe like so at this point, like even 5 years ago, it feels like so long ago. So <laughs> the message has changed quickly.
0: Speaking of Claire, we got to get to Allison. Um The biggest controversy for a long time, the biggest knock on the Breakfast Club is uh, Claire takes Allison into the back room and gives her a makeover. The worst of all time. When Andy sees that, he's like, oh, damn, I never noticed with all the black shit, even though she likes the black shit, on your eyes that you were actually a babe. And then they hook up and they seem like they're, I'm not sure about Claire and Bender, but it Uh, seems like Andy and Allison are, they're together now. They're going to get married, dude. Is that the right I message? Gave her his patch. No,
1: that is like this no. this is the most this is really honestly the most upsetting part of the movie to me because this makeover is awful. Uh Ally Sheedy... Allison has like a look and it's hers and she's very pretty and she pulls it off very effectively. That's a great look. And then like this preppy sort of like makeover transform you into a princess
2: no who doesn't awful. want to be yeah.
0: herself? But yeah, it, instead of changing, what you do is you change people to you, and then you you feel mm-hmm. more comfortable.
2: Yeah, because you, you look in the mirror everywhere, right? I'm helping. I'm not happy, but I don't think you're happy, so I'll bring you closer to what I am. And then they turned it into a whole movie called She's All That."
1: Honestly, <laughs> Allison just needs to get to college. Mike. Like, like yeah. she is she is going to have such yeah. a f- awesome college experience. She's much more of a college person. I imagine she's gonna go to like an art school.
2: Oh, yeah, Sarah Lawrence, she's going to get into the poetry of Audre Lorde, get into Bikini Kill, uh-huh. and people will, like, just be into what she's into.
0: I would throw into, like, that, you know, that college put-together thing that your parents do, where, like, oh, you're going, so here's some, like, shower shoes, and here's, like, a, you know, uh-huh. a, a thing that holds your bath stuff. Uh, some dandruff shampoo might be necessary. Yeah, blue. Yeah, she might have an issue shoulders. with that. But it's part of her art. That all- so would have been awesome. So who am I to say?
2: That would have been awesome if the makeover was just a quick trip to the shower, sell some blue, this was, and, like, dry clean your big jacket. This and was the first time
1: there. watching this movie where I paid more attention to what she was drawing than what she was doing. Uh-huh.
0: She's a very good artist. Oh, no. With <laughs> like, one that's pen? an amazing picture. What I mean, it's a little, like, Norman Rockwell sort of uh, on the wall of a hotel, but I don't know. It's still pretty. Like, it's a, yeah. it's a snowscape, you know? Like, there's a little uh-huh. barn in the corner. It's pretty good. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Around. all right gentlemen what is the most offensively out of place and i don't mean a most offensive like what is the single most out of place as far as tone moment in the movie
2: I, I i do think the the fact that brian talks about how he brought his gun to school to kill himself yeah. and it, they brush on really quickly because they brush on from everybody's traumas but that is such a l- level of intensity nobody else brings
1: okay greg I think the character of the the janitor, I think that is like the what we are on board for is like this bottle episode with these kids and then we're getting these weird two adults talking. I feel like that kind of like the momentum of the movie grinds to a halt anytime that those two dudes are.
0: Do you know what we didn't talk about? Uh, besides the, the chair, like Vernon having to face the humiliation of the chair was also... Um and we needed this, right? Because he's the villain. He pours like this dark, thick butt mud from his thermos all over his lunch in classic, uh-huh. like nerd status. <laughs> of course that guy would. But no, it's uh it's Andy screaming in and the glass breaks. Ryan. <laughs> Music plays a large role in the emotional landscape of this film. How is it used in creative and at least newish ways? I think it- that like actually when
1: characters jump up and yell, and then there's like a guitar like
2: Bwah!
1: I feel like that might not be like the most original creative thing ever, but it's not done that much. And it, Mm -hmm. it, I feel like there's a different dimension to that than you see it in the, the score of most movies.
2: Yeah. The, it does it over when Bender yells, fuck you Uh to Vernon as he walks out. And so it's like, keep it that PG 13 rating too, but it's all it's this movie plays by musical rules yeah. without, without being a musical musical rules. Right. It, like the ones that aren't singing all the time is uh, it's normal dialogue until the motion is so high. I have to sing. And this movie kind of does that with its music and with their dancing,
0: use the characters to create a recipe for creating the three of us.
1: I definitely am a mix of Allison and Brian I would just be straight Brian except Brian points out like actually I have a huge group of friends and I'm involved in like a lot of stuff that goes on like that kid's actually popular in his own way which I was not so I would have to be that's the way in which I was the outsider I had like three friends and now it it works
0: though because you have a large group of friends but they're all also Brian's you know it's just a big big herd of Brian's. I would throw I would do like for Greg I would do maybe like 50% Allison, or, I'm sorry. Fifty percent Brian, forty percent Allison, ten percent Claire. Mike, do you see like?
2: Yeah, I was gonna say because of my love of sushi. <laughs> your love of sushi. I think you have a close relationship with your parents, which is why I was gonna say Andy. Okay, that works.
0: Your gigantic works lunches.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you man, motherfucker eats the grocery store. For I do lunch. eat a big
1: lunch. I am a big lunch guy. All right, what is Mike? Mike, um, mostly. I would say Mike's kind of like me in that he's an Allison Bryan mix. I mean, Mike literally was friends with like the adult staff that worked at his high school, <laughs> right? As we have spent uh, an, just true
0: an unbelievable <laughs> amount of time on this podcast talking about. Yeah, <laughs> um, like if we ever need to take a vacation, we can edit together a full on ninety minutes of Mike talking about how he was friends with staff at his school. Uh,
2: yeah, I think in high school I had a. I keep wanting to say Judd Hirsch, Judd Nelson exterior like that. I was going for Judd Nelson. Judd Hirsch played
0: Judd Nelson.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But you were like the, the like 2000s version of that. So it was more like emo.
2: Yeah. Which is where Alice uh, Sheedy comes in and then Brian. Yeah.
1: And then how about you, Ryan? I definitely, I feel. 100% Vernon, baby.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You always tell us we're going to get the horns.
1: What what energy does he like I feel like you have some bender energy on the show, but in real like, life so in real no. life you're mostly just quiet. So that's a lot of Allison.
0: Were you hoping that Vernon was like, okay, fine, do you know who is the like the mascot for progressive insurance?
1: Flo. <laughs> <laughs> I bet Mike was
0: wishing that. He loves progressive insurance. <laughs> He's such a I'm big sorry. fan.
1: He tried they to put it real in the well Hall of well Fame. By me.
2: They said if I got him in the Hall of Fame, my insurance would be even cheaper. Oh,
0: man. Based on Judy Greer and progressive insurance, maybe next week we vote to kick Mike out of the Hall of Fame. <laughs>
1: <laughs> For having bad taste, you are removed from the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Are we all just like the same combination of the same people?
2: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like that's how we're but friends, right? <laughs> yeah, I think all of us are mostly uh, the outcast in the brain, and then we each just have a dash of somebody yeah, else. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. so that's a good one.
0: I would say that uh, mine's probably Bender, Greg's is Claire, and Mike's is Vernon.
2: <laughs> I was gonna say the janitor.
0: <laughs> so it's like the same joke, right? Moving on, Brian ends up writing the essay for everyone. Does that mean that they actually didn't learn anything? Yeah, dude,
1: what a fucking teen thing to do. They're all supposed to write their own essay. No one does anything. And then he writes like 200 words on how the assignment isn't appropriate in his mind. That's teen behavior, dude.
2: And and uh, Claire going Claire. full Claire from the beginning is like, hey, you <laughs> like doing this anyway. Let's all be Tom Sawyer and let you paint that white yeah. fence. This
0: is, I think, the important part is that Claire is not, like, Claire's one of the more fascinating characters that doesn't, like, scream like Bender does. Um, because she just, she, she can't stop saying, I want to be different and I want to be the same at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the most nuanced way, and one of them is, like, God damn, we're all friends now. We're all equals. Brian, write this fucking essay, dude. You know you want to. And,
2: and she's the one who's like, we're not going to be friends on Monday. That's why I don't think her and Bender talk ever again, except maybe he drunkenly shows up at her house one night and she goes, no, I was honest with you guys. You're not my friends. Like,
0: What about that earring, yeah. though? Does he keep that earring?
2: Oh, yeah, I'd keep it. I'd pawn it.
0: I think
1: that uh, she's the, there's like the type of conservative who acts like the world is is nice and happy and everyone can get along. Uh and then there's the type of the conservative that's just like, Yeah, things are unfair and they're unfair towards me. And she's definitely that second type where she's just like, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty, so I get what I want. I'm rich, so people take care of me. That's just the way it is. I'm just being honest.
0: Right. And now, gentlemen, for the ultimate and speed round questions. Speed round. We're gonna go what? One, we're gonna go one character at a time. Uh if you argue well, then you'll get the point. If you both disagree with me, then no one gets points. Uh, we're going to start with Brian. Did Brian vote for Trump in 2016, and does he still support him in 2020?
2: No and no. Greg?
1: Brian voted for Trump in 2016. He just couldn't get there with Hillary. It was an anti-Hillary vote. 2020, though, he sees how what a big mess
2: it is. Greg.
0: Claire. Did Claire vote for Trump, and does she still support him?
2: Yes and no. Uh, She voted for him and then looked around and went like, oh, wait, he's attacking people who sort of might look like me now. I don't know if I can hold behind this.
1: Claire in 2016 was part of the 52% of white women that voted for Trump. In 2020, she'll be part of the, like I'm guessing, like 35% of white women who vote for Trump. Claire also, side note, you didn't ask, but Claire has never worn a mask. If she put one on, she would be like, I can't breathe, right
0: away. Yeah, I should have just asked that. Her kids that, call yeah. her Claren. <laughs> Mike. Good one. Um, Mike. Next up is Andy the Wrestler. Did he support Trump? <sighs>
2: He is hard. Uh-huh. Are all these kids Trump supporters? I say, yeah. I say, <laughs> I say,
1: I say, Andy is yes, yes.
2: Yeah, I think I, mean,
1: I yeah. He voted for me in 2016. He's gonna vote for me again in 2020. He has right. ambition, it's strength. He goes for what he it's wants. Like, I, lo- I love people yeah. who are
0: strong, and he's strong, right. and he tells it like it is. Um, the crazy thing about this movie is that there's no middle ground. We either have pro- people who are like upper middle class, or lower upper class, uh-huh. or trash. And those are the pe- all of those people love Trump. So <laughs> uh, let's go to Bender. What did Bender real do in we- 2016?
1: The real weird thing about this is these people all belong to a class in the movie that doesn't even exist anymore. But they still vote like that there is a middle class and that mm-hmm. they're part of it and that they're being protected. Uh, Bender has never voted. I mean, yeah. he's a felon. So he-, he should have the right to vote. But currently he does not.
2: He's thinking about moving to Florida. He would if he he could.
1: He would if he could, I think.
2: I mean,
0: he went to jail for for 12 years because he was walking around with a diamond earring and police just arrested (laughs) him.
2: Bender feels like the kind of guy who got way into Bernie and you agree with his politics, but he's such a fucking dickbag against it. You're like, I don't know, man. Honestly, to
1: me, Bender seems like he does the Dick Whitman to Don Draper thing and actually turns it around and goes Uh from being trash to being successful. But that person votes for Trump. Trump, Too bad yeah. Judd
0: Nelson was not able to do that. Uh, the final one is the one that we have the least information about. It's Allison. What do we think we? What? What? How do we think she voted? No. No. And no. No And no.
2: I don't think her anarcho-feminist group right. would be into it. Right. And like, yeah, she's right. no at all.
0: Did Did she also not vote because right. voting is stupid? Like, right. and then was just like on college campuses, like just getting people more upset about other things, but knows that yeah, voting the entire is system trash. is broken. Yeah.
1: yeah. No, I mean she is anti-Trump as all get out and then it like put her foot into a million buckets with black lives matter was just like constantly like she's so anti-Trumpist she thinks that like she knows what to say but then when it comes to race she she just says all the wrong things in
0: all the wrong ways (laughs) all right guys we're gonna take one last break before our other breaks and we are going to hand out some awards The Breakfast Club was nominated for Did you guys look up how many Oscars?
1: I'm guessing zero. Zero. Probably
0: zero, right? But one two, which is pretty <laughs> impressive.
1: <laughs> pretty pretty impressive.
0: Tonight we're gonna give it five. Um not all of them are great awards to win, but no matter what, the Breakfast Club will win them all. We're gonna start with I Love the Eighties. What was the what, what was the moment that you guys were like, oh, this is definitely not the 90s or the 60s? Mike, we'll start with you.
2: I, I think we've talked a lot through the season about it being kids versus adults. And the whole movie is that, but the, the specific moment I'm going to say is the Bender under the table, where at this point they haven't all bonded yet, but they are all still on Bender's side against the principal.
0: Okay, so not, not the gross thing that we talked about all, the, you know, that one segment, but just the fact that they will defend this yeah. person who is clearly evil and they hate him because he is not an adult. Yeah, he's
2: part of our tribe.
1: For me, it has to be... uh, The the music video influence on this movie is impossible to disregard, but one element of it that I want to focus on is Molly Ringwald's dance, that dance is only done very briefly in, like, the mid-80s. That is not a dance step, those little, like, hand movements. That and is how I dance. Kicks. Yeah, well, that's
0: because, you know, <laughs> it's actually very close to Mike's <laughs> 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 <basically>, dance.
1: <God's> <laughs> it's basically white shorthand for dancing. You know, you're, you're clearly moving. You're doing little kicks. You're, you're, your hands are swaying. But that's about as 80s as it gets.
0: Okay, I'm gonna give this one to Mike for a couple of reasons. One, Mike, good pick. It's it's definitely a theme through uh, probably any 80s year we do. It's going to run through it. But also, learning about John Hughes uh, and Molly Ringwald. Molly Ringwald said, "Oh no, I can't dance," and refused to. And he was like, "You have to do something, and you have to do it now." And that's that's what people come up with when they're forced <laughs> to dance at gunpoint right there on the spot. The next one is most realistic high school moment. You know, we've talked a lot about the ones that are not realistic. Uh, The libraries, the glass breaking. But I do think this movie has one of the enduring factors is how realistic it is towards high school students. Greg, what do you got? For me, it is this obsession
1: with virginity. Uh, Virginity is either like a black mark or um, it can be something like embarrassing or it can be something like that you prize or you're expected to have or you get caught in a bind where you can't, as Ali Sheedy says, you can't win either way. Uh, but you're briefly obsessed with your virginity just around this time. It once it goes away, it's gone forever, and you start worrying about a lot of different aspects of sex. But you are so intensely invested, either for or like against being a virgin at this one time in your life.
0: And Brian, who is the purest for a lot of reasons, one, he's one of the virgins, but also, and you know what, they might all be. You know, I don't believe oh, yeah. that benders fucking no, bitches no. on the side every weekend. Um, but. He's also the purist and like he doesn't he's not out to hurt or tease anybody and still Bolly Ringwald's right over there and he's like to bender yeah i fucked her oh for sure i <laughs> fucked her you know like do you, you buy his excuse lie about it.
1: do you buy his excuse that he was saying i just don't want to talk about it in front of her no No, i think he was trying not.
2: to use his nice guy defense there
0: cuz
1: your reading of that character is deep i find has to be deeply informed by whether or not you actually believe what he did i think he tried to have it both ways yes yeah, yeah. for sure <laughs> and then thinking that
0: Bender won't call him out on that. Yeah, like you yeah. have not been paying attention to how the day works. Although I do love Bender's line of, uh, so Claire, Brian was just killing me of how he's just crushed the Niagara Falls area with his penis. <laughs> Mike, what's the most realistic high school moment?
2: I think it's uh, late, like two thirds away through the movie. They're all they're on some other platform we don't really see anywhere else, and this is where they're getting real and serious. But they don't work through anybody's problem. They just somebody monologues about how hard their life is and somebody (laughs) trades and talks about how hard their life is and somebody. So it's interrupting to be very serious while you're trying to like, yes, this is what adults and therapists do for each other. But it's always just selfish. I just want to talk.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The virginity thing is important, but I've noticed that virginity is still important out of high school. Uh, Whereas, Mike, yeah, all we did was uh, we didn't listen. We just waited for our turn to talk. Fucking kids. Uh, Let's go to cringiest moment. And we might we may have covered all examples of this, but, uh-huh. Mike, what do you have?
2: Yeah, so I think we did talk about the cringiest, but a very specific one that's early on uh, is when Bender's saying they should close the door, he, like, drools at Claire and says, let's get the prom queen preg- impregnated. Uh, so his stuff he does later that day is also terrible, probably worse. But starting off the morning with that.
0: <laughs> it's too early <laughs> for that. <laughs> let's all impregnate. Claire. okay I don't want to do I don't want to do the cheesy thing
1: and and say what we already brought up but it really is it like it sticks out in this movie um him touching her without her permission it sticks out in this movie because not a ton of other stuff like that happens but then it fits so nicely into this niche in pop culture which is just like we don't even have a very subtle rape culture in the 80s it's just like basically it's about sexual assault and rape
0: mm-hmm yeah, it's so it's so so 80s. It could have worked for most 80s moment as well because yeah. <laughs> like if you do that in a movie now, it has to be within the first 10 minutes so the rest of the movie can deal with that one yeah, moment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh I don't know if you guys have heard about the scene that was cut from the script. It was never filmed. And a lot of people, Molly Ringwald, Molly's mom, um a lot of people on the set take credit for saying you should cut this, but there was a scene where there was a gym coach, a female gym coach who decided to go to the school on a Saturday, take off all her clothes, and swim around to the pool, and Vernon is just watching her with binoculars or through a peephole, and John Hughes typed it in. It was, like, almost obligatory. <laughs> like, of course I have to put a scene like this in my 1985 movie. Yeah, that's so
2: porkies. That's gross.
1: Yeah. Also, it it's so perfectly male. I love like this is that's exactly the kind of scene men have always conceptualized that a woman would go to her place of work and then get (laughs) naked and swim around merely to be like gawked at by a creepy Uh loser. Like that is only a guy could think that.
0: I've also heard that those are places in France where those naked ladies dance, but apparently the 80s thought it was in America. John Hughes is, I would say, far more famous for being a screenwriter and a creator of characters and dialogue than he is a filmmaker. But. He did direct this movie. Do you guys see, like, a John Hughes director's touch, a director's signature in this film? Uh, we'll start with the
2: Yeah, I think it's easier to, to to go with the writing style. So uh, this is not just my copious history. This is doing some research and looking that uh, most, if not all of his movies, uh, he at least once has eyes close-ups when people are doing, like, a battle of wills or flirting. <laughs> and so in this, it's uh, Emilio Estevez and Sheedy uh, Shidi, uh they do the back and forth, very close up on the eyes uh, after her makeover. But he doesn't play trains and automobiles. He does it in Sixteen Candles and Pretty and Pink as well.
0: Oh damn! Did you do research on I've, John Hughes' eye close? I might have
2: done some research because <laughs> he do, he's not like a flashy director who you're like. There's his move,
0: Greg. What is the most Hughesian move in the movie?
1: For me, it's more of a feel. Um, and we have this as, as, as with him as a director, certainly, but we see it as a screenwriter a lot, which is like. These movies, if you if you wanted to say what genre they're in, they're like realistic comedies. Um, but his realism only extends so far because he wants to give you sort of like the idea of the 80s and the realistic idea of it, but still the idea. And so mm. I would say it's like this... Um, like sort of beyond realism. I think he found realism too constraining. And so he wants to have these scenes where if you asked him, did that really happen? He would be like, well, no, because it couldn't like, there couldn't just be broken glass all in the library. (laughs) There couldn't just be like the heavy smell of marijuana all hanging out throughout the library. Uh, But the idea is that they dance. And the idea is that they break things. And the idea is that they get high and all that still being tied to what is essentially realism. You know, which is these are kids like kids you would have seen around then having conversations that are basically very similar.
0: Uh, So it's like the mix of those two worlds. I think that's all super interesting, and we probably should have spent more time on that in this episode, but I'm going to give it to Mike, because there's no way that John Hughes was thinking about any of that shit. (laughs) Uh, And then finally, pound for pound performance, and I'm glad I don't have to pick one, because I was really impressed by a lot of this cast. So... Who was the actor, like, uh, regardless of screen time, who really sold the movie for you, Greg? Uh,
1: it, this was hard. This is harder than it is in most instances. Um, but I went finally with Molly Ringwald. Uh, they, they each have, like, these different layers, you know, outward facing and then, m- m- like, mid and then, like, inner where you get to see them when they ultimately react to things, you feel like you're seeing their inner reactions. Molly Ringwald moves through all of those. Claire has the most stratified, like sort of like three different personalities. And Molly Ringwald moves through them just by having a series of reactions to things um, and doing it very subtly and getting to see like all the different layers that comprise your average teenager.
0: And you know what that did is that, I don't know who molly Rom, who like what molly ringwald is like in real life Mm -hmm. like she has completely covered up her personality where the other four are definitely pulling from whatever their persona persona is or what they want it to be mike what do you think
2: yeah i I think all the kids did do surprisingly well i thought it was gonna be hard to watch but everybody has a moment or two that rings annoying uh anthony michael hall we learned cannot cry on camera uh and have it look (laughs) real but I think both because in the movie, the persona is such a persona where everybody else is is smaller. I think Judd Nelson from when Bender's being loud and abrasive, an asshole, it feels like Bender is acting. And then it's when he's just one on one with Vernon and finally looks scared because he doesn't know what to do here. Uh, and the range that he goes through of those.
0: Which was a legit reaction. He did not know the cameras were filming, <laughs> and he really thought that the actor playing Vernon <laughs> oh, was wow. going to him. Sick of him. He's him. like, what
2: happened? Wait, is this true? Because,
0: yeah, like, and they were just scree- Judd Nelson was screamed at the entire time by everybody, like, you're just a piece of shit person. Not Bender, Judd. <laughs> and Vernon had had it, and then Hughes was like, use it. And so he went to punch Judd Nelson, and so Bender's reaction is Judd's reaction. Oh, nice.
2: That's insane.
0: And I, but I I still have to give it to Judd because Mike. we talked about this a lot, but like his teenage tenacity, I think really holds the movie together. The problem is that, I don't know if it's as bad as like putting Mel Gibson on our Rushmore tonight, but the way that like, you can tell that he's a bastard in all aspects in real life in the movie, but the way that he's using it really does make the best performance, which sucks. Jared Leto, don't listen to this. Like you don't <laughs> have to act the way that you do. Alright, so your winners are The most 80s moment is uh, Defending children Your most high school moment is the interrupting Your cringiest moment is the Head towards underwear Your director's signature is all the Building drama by doing close-ups of eyes And your pound-for-pound performance Is Judd Nelson Guys, that's it When we come back, we're going to talk about How well we think The Breakfast Club will do In The Bracket Hey, guys, real quick before we get back to the rest of the show, I just wanted to tell you about YourPopFilter.com. Go to that website to get everything that is Pop Filter, all of our podcasts, all of our articles, all of our secrets. Everything is on YourPopFilter.com. While you're there, go to YourPopFilter.com slash Amazon. And if you make that your new Amazon bookmark, then you can help Amazon less and us more. And isn't that what we all want to do in the world? Some of those podcasts that you can get on the website or in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your shows uh, include the Superhero Hour Hour, where Cassie, Mike, and I discuss every single TV show based on a comic book, and the OCD, where Mike and I discuss every episode of the OCD. And then, of course, Movie of the Year, where Greg, Mike, and I try to figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. So make sure you're downloading all of those shows leave a review, leave a star rating, leave a podcast. If you have an idea for an episode, just record it and email it to us and we'll probably put it on the air. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Gentlemen, we are at the end of the Breakfast Club show. Is that as much of that song we- as we could use? <laughs> I can keep playing it. that part yeah. over <laughs> and over It's here. the best you know, part. <laughs>
1: Yeah, once it gets into like the verses, you're like, what are we doing here? What is
2: this? This is
0: long and droning. I have forgotten about you. And I'm so sorry, Mike. You said that you had a question for me. What was your question?
2: Um, Ryan, I was wondering if you brought lunch for everybody today. You asked me one more question, and I'm beating the shit out of
0: you. Wow. I guess yeah. I... well, I, Did you bring I, drinks? You know what's surprising about tonight's show is that you would think that Drop Pad would be all about Bender, but it's Andy who really shine tonight. The uh-huh. Drop Hat is all about Emilio Estevez. Uh, guys, before we get to the point total, how do you think this movie, just in general, is going to do in the 1985 bracket? It's done. <laughs> it, uh, You know, it, like, it made
1: for um, interesting conversation. I enjoyed watching it. Uh, I, but I do think there's a, a lack of depth. I think these are shallow waters. Um, and areas where it would have been interesting to have more depth getting into to what's going on with some of these characters, um, but, you know, might've given us something more, but I just, I can't imagine getting excited enough about this movie for it to even get past like the next round, to be honest.
2: I, I think it, it, it all depends on who it goes up against. I think there's a few it could take down. And can you think it, of a movie so,
1: we have seen so far that it could be?
2: No, there's one specifically I think coming up, but uh, (laughs) there's also like, it's the, so it's a it's shallower than Brazil, but I I think it, where it, it Babe Ruth's, it it points it, it it clears that so much and is just the perfect kids movie and not a derogatory way in a really good way. I think this is an important movie for kids even today. Ryan, I mean, you said
1: it at the, the top of the show. I mean, doesn't it mean something that like modern teens watch this movie and are still, they still connect to the message?
0: It does, but doesn't it mean something that, like, this is the first time that I remember in all Moody movies of the year where, like, not just one of the segments, but, like, the, the first segment was based on why does this movie endure, where we talked about outside shit. We talked about audience's reaction as opposed to, like, sticking, like, as textual as uh-huh. we possibly can, yeah. you know? Like, that's not, in order to talk about the Breakfast Club's greatness, you really do have to talk about endurance as opposed to. Just what you're seeing on the screen, mm-hmm. and I don't. I think that makes it interesting, and it it doesn't not make it great. It's just uh, not typically, but I think takes down movie of the it year. It
1: left. I, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I didn't dislike it, but it did leave me a little cold. And part of that was coming on the heels of, of Brazil. You know, like I, I really like to be challenged by these movies and get into them on a deep level. And it's just it's it just doesn't feel like it's there. It doesn't feel like it's built on enough of those, level, of, enough of those hey. levels.
0: Hey. Hey, Mike, I don't know who won yet. I don't have the envelope, but I will say this. If Greg's not my best friend, I don't think he's going to be pissed because he has his new best friend, the movie Brazil. (laughs) Brazil, yeah. Why don't you go marry it? (laughs)
2: Why
0: don't you go kiss that movie a lot? Go
2: elope to Brazil and hang out with Brazil all the time. Okay, you guys.
1: Honestly, I mentioned Brazil one-tenth of the time I'm thinking about it, okay?
2: (laughs) No, but we can see in your eyes.
1: All I'm doing is pruning
0: potential comments about Brazil. That's like saying I only make one racist comment. It's like one-tenth of how I'm being racist in my mind. That's basically (laughs) what you're saying. All right. Here's the score. Uh, I scored 10 points. Wow. Wow. That's the most for a host. Oh, no. He's
2: going to win two weeks from now.
0: (laughs) But then then I realized that uh, when I looked at the score, it's because uh, it was in my email, and my name is all over that. So I scored like two points, but it just says Ryan seven times all over my email. Yeah. I think in the past you
1: may have... um, ridden that to victory sometimes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's not funny. Uh, Greg, you scored twenty three. Ooh, you never won it twenty three. Wow. That's a really low score. Is this me? Did I like did I do a bad job scoring tonight? Or is it the movie? Just like Yeah me not that much interesting to say.
2: Like like Greg said, if we if we're playing in shallower waters, it's harder to plumb the depths there and that's normally what gets points. Also
1: you were a little withholding today.
0: Mike. Yeah, Mike, you just scored your twenty seventh point <laughs> and you win the week.
2: <laughs> We're gonna watch Breakfast Club every day. It, you
1: it was those awards. You're very good at the awards.
2: I got yeah. that, oh, yeah. that's the part of my
1: game I gotta tighten up. That's I clearly those. that's where cause like that's him and me going head to head, and he went uh, four for five. Like he and that's
0: I think the way it's been the past few weeks as well. I gotta and it's not. It's not just, like, uh, trying to figure out what the host wants you to say, but then also making it seem like it's what you're saying, even though you're clearly just saying it because it's what the host wants you to <laughs> yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, it was it was legit.
1: Like, I'm not questioning the, the, the award segment. That's just an area of my game I have to address, Ryan. I'm going to come back stronger. But one thing I have noticed is if you don't care about the movie well, as much, you don't care about losing as much. If I had lost Brazil, that really would have <laughs> hurt. You guys know Brazil, the movie I like. Oh, Brazil! Yeah, but this one I don't feel as attached to, so enjoy, Mike. You brought that movie
0: up 12 Brazilian times, <laughs> and I can't believe it. Uh, guys, next week, if I'm looking at the schedule correctly, um, we're going to break away from these movies that we have seen a billion times that are clearly going to win, like Back to the Future and Breakfast Club, and we're going to watch Come and See, a war movie from 1985 that everyone says is good and nobody knows we'll ag- agree or <laughs> not Yeah. nobody's actually seen it before this is what it's about dude this is why you have a show not
1: to just watch all the movies that you've already seen and say all the things you've already said about them but to like find new things a couple this- of
0: things bu- before we go before we watch um i think that it is longer than two hours and i think that it's really really rough so guys start early in the week okay and then yeah make it through as much as you can every day
2: is this the paul schrader no there's so many movies on our list that I've never heard of, so I'm just yeah. I'm gonna ask if it's Paul Schrader every week.
0: Paul Schrader Don't is the me. one about the the Japanese author biopic Mishima. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> who knows what '85? There is.
1: are a couple movies come and see a Mishima on uh, this that like could be the best movies we've ever seen, and it would be a little bit hard to be like that's the most 1985 movie. That movie nobody's <laughs> ever heard of, and none of us had ever even heard of, but now is really important to us.
0: Oh, yeah. And all of that, Greg, that you just said, Akira Kurosawa coming up in this season. I know, season, dog. So. I
1: know. I just
0: watched the movie Akira. Different, but still kind of similar. <laughs> so, yeah. Watch Kurosawa, and then you understand <laughs> everything about her. All right. That is the show. Thank you, gentlemen, so much. Thank you to all of the... Commercials that we had throughout the show. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it all of those. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Patrick. <laughs> you pastor. did a good job, commercials. Uh, for Mike and Greg, I am Ryan. And of course, as always, keep watching those movies.